This is Naoki Yoshida. This is Fern Hall. And you are listening to Aetherite Radio. Aetherite Radio. Here we go. Alright, hello everybody and welcome to Aetherite Radio Gamerscape's Final Fantasy XIV Podcast. I'm Fusion X. Joining us today, we've got Zanidra. Hi. We've got Alduno. Hi. And we've got Rook. <laughs> I was like, is he going to say anything? No. I just I knew gonna... someone else was going to say hello. You got to do it for me too. So we got all Hi. three. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wait. No, wait. I did it wrong. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> today we're going to continue our retrospective of Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, this time around, we are at Stormblood, so I'm sure we'll have some ex- exciting things to talk about. After Sound that- more sure. Be very we'll sure. It's going to be so exciting. <laughs> yes. No. I actually think Stormblood is a fascinating period of time in the game, and whatever you thought of the expansion, it's, it's the time I where, it- where I actually liked Xenos. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like there were a lot of things that they did in Stormblood that kind of set the precedent for like future content or story division and all sorts of things. So I'm excited to talk about Stormblood. Mm. Yeah. Uh, quick, though, we, before we get into that, we do have a little bit of news. Uh, the callback campaign is here. It's underway uh, until September 30th. So if you have friends that used to play the game but are not playing the game right now, you can tell them to to come back and play the game. Stop it. Or threaten to find new friends. Stop not playing the game. Uh, <laughs> Stop not playing a game. Yeah. Uh, also, the uh, third Tales from the Dawn story is up. Uh, next week will be the last one. So maybe we'll only talk four. about those. Yeah. It's only four. It's quick. Yeah. They came out really fast, I felt like. Mm-hmm. M- yep. Maybe they normally come out this fast? I don't know, they, but I thought they don't. Yeah. yeah. I thought there were like a, you know, at least a month between releases last time, but I'm not complaining. I've liked mm. getting this set of stories. My theory mm. is there is a second set. Don't prove me wrong, Essie. Well, there has show been me. before, right? Yeah. Show, yeah, later, show later on. Like yeah. Six, three, maybe we'll get the second part. That's what I'd love to see. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's, Chat. that's news. Mm. Chat also mentions that the rising is still going on. Yeah, so if you haven't done it yet. Yeah. Finish like, that up. Like, like, Rise up. as of day of recording, mm-hmm. like, I think, like, two more days. So, like, if you have not gotten your Solace minion, log in. Yep. Put us in a tab. Put us on your second monitor, whatever, and go go do the thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that they don't let you skip cutscenes this time. Yeah. Not that I wanted to on my first mm-hmm. playthrough, but on you my didn't? fifth, I did. I did. Yeah. No, the the one where you have to answer questions for for D-Man? oh those ones okay can't yeah, skip it. That having been said, I watched my wife play through them and I read them there first, so I didn't feel like I needed to watch them a second <laughs> time. I didn't just like skip all just, just no, no, you know, no, no, preventing it. a few comments from time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I judged you. I'm not gonna lie for like ah, one second. I wow. thought maybe we oh. need to have a talk about how fusion. Might not need to be on the podcast anymore if Fusion doesn't want to play any of the story in Final Fantasy, but you saved it. You saved it. So thank you for explaining. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, last time we talked uh, about uh, Heaven's Word when we did our retrospective. Last week was our review of Patch uh, 6.2. So if you have not checked that out yet, uh, it does have spoilers. So if you are behind, uh, mm-hmm. that is your warning. Um so yeah, Stormblood, man. I all right. So let's. I think the the, the first place we got to start right is the the teaser, the fan fest yep. teaser, right? Not as many like 
Dragoon Arousal vibes from this one for me. Mm. Uh, okay. But what we did see was <laughs> a, a, a disappointment, ultimately. Uh, people thought we were getting Dancer because yeah. we saw Lise in that yeah. gown. And the yeah, amount of people right. were like, <gasps> Dancer, oh my god! I and mean, it's like, ultimately, no. we weren't yeah. wrong. We well, it, 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 took, get it took an expansion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so funny. I had completely forgotten about that. And I guess they could have easily made Dancer something that would be from um, Alamigo with yeah. its kind of themes and vibe. Sure. They could have gone that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, her outfit does look a lot like that. I had completely forgotten that people thought that's what we were going to be getting. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, use it as a Dancer Glam now. Booyah. Yep. I mean, it's a yeah. good Dancer Glam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of hype leading up to Stormblood. Stormblood was actually the very first expansion that I was a like in the game for expansion mm, release. Mm-hmm. And it was so thrilling to be a part of stuff like the FanFest teasers that were coming out, to actually be looking forward to it and knowing that I'd be able to set foot in it alongside everybody mm. for the first time, rather than like playing catch up and then, you know, having everybody tell me about all the cool stuff that was ahead. <laughs> so <laughs> It was a really exciting time, and I think as well as we started to get more tidbits that we would even be going to, you know, the East. So Mm -hmm. many people were very excited about that because, you know, for a long time we hadn't really had any zones. And we didn't even know if they really wanted to or were going to do zones that were kind of, you know, Japanese or East Asian Mm -hmm. influenced. (laughs) So it was cool to see that. And then, of course, they kind of underscored that by actually giving us the, you know... uh, the classes that were more themed to mm-hmm. Doma, Hingashi, those sorts of areas. Yeah, I remember I mean, Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah. I remember that tease. Sam yeah. Raimi. And the Scarlet Samurai. Witch. Samurai. Yeah, yeah. I have that Scarlet Witch shirt. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the what did you guys, War. What did you guys think it could have been other than Samurai? Because it was Spider-Man, right? It could yeah. have been Blue Mage. It could have been yeah. some kind of, I don't know. That was my only Spider other Mage. idea. <laughs> Spider Mage. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I thought anything really about it. it, it samurai was, just seemed such a solid bet. It was so yeah. obscure, I think, that I'm like, maybe it's Samurai or just, who knows? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking Blue Mage or Samurai. Those are the only two that I could even reconcile in my brain. And then, yeah. of course, Scarlet Witch was like, well, I, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that that <laughs> one was pretty <laughs> obvious, yeah. Yeah, should have yeah. saved that shirt for this week. Except, never mind, because we wouldn't be a cult. That's right. It's true. Yeah. If you haven't noticed, if you're if you're tuning in live right now, it's hard to see with the way that the cams are, mm-hmm. are cropped and the way that our cameras are. We're all wearing the exact same shirt. So it started off me and Aldi, you know, got on cams. We're like, oh hey, mm-hmm. nice shirt. And then Rook joins, and she's like, I'll be right back. And then I <laughs> went AFK for a minute, and I came back, and Zen had her shirt on too. And it's like. Cool. <laughs> I, don't, I we, showed up in a different shirt, and Rook was yeah. like, oh, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you we got the memo together. today. Yeah. 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 I think we yeah. did this, like, one other time before. It was, like, an FF8 shirt, I think. Yep. Is, is, oh, like yeah. Two I didn't have that one. That, yeah. I was so sad. That's okay. Yeah. Well. You think I ignored that we dressed together in Stormblood when we got We Go Together? Come on. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging it. I felt pretty proud about it. And then I immediately felt a little bit weird about it because I suddenly imagined all of us like backstage in high school changing to like (laughs) a school play version of Stormblood. Oh, yeah. (laughs) See, I was thinking of the uh, the inn, the inn in uh, Hingashi with the bathhouse with the like 
Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Also, all yes, the, yes. All the weird shit in I'm there. Just, my, my, my brain went to dress fears from 10, too. It's like, we dress together. <laughs> yeah. I just really love that that uh, bathhouse is basically just a place for, like, gay Rugen to hook up, which is yeah. my favorite thing yeah. in the whole they're like, world. They're like, they are what, kind of, what kind mm-hmm. of environment can we have in the game where we can have uh, stupid, sexy Flanders reference bubble text? <laughs> let's do let's do a little bathhouse. It's good. It's perfect. It's good. Um, that was a great thing that Stormblood did give us, but we mm. started out a lot of our other sort of, I don't know, introductions to an expansion by pulling some reviews and our own as well. Uh, this time around, we had two reviews about Stormblood, clips from IGN. So IGN mentioned, worst things happen in Stormblood, the latest expansion for the MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV, but cruel moments sculpt the overarching narrative into one of the finest stories of brutality of war and tyranny since The Witcher 3. It bravely ventures into places where brightly colored fantasy epics like this too often fear to tread, such as sad villages where the locals tremble at the thought of resisting oppressors who've abused them for more than two decades. It was I was actually surprised. Sorry, I have a siren going by. That's the... <laughs> The the war field coming in here. That's from the villages that are resisting oppressors. Yeah. I was surprised um, because it seemed as though, in retrospect, and we'll talk more about this, but it seemed as though Stormblood, for all that there are these like really shining areas and moments and zones Mm -hmm. and story beats, oftentimes I think it gets a lot of flack in the community for being one of the weakest expansions. But a lot of the reviews were fairly positive about some of the story beats that it brought to the table um, and seemed pretty, pretty invested in it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Kotaku as well had a shorter one that just said, I haven't completed the final battle in Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood expansion's main storyline. The titular quest has been sitting in the top left corner of my screen for a week, and I've been doing everything I can to ignore it. I don't <laughs> want it to end. Like, I, I don't know. I just thought this was interesting. Uh Considering how I think we look back on it now a little bit. Yeah, this is one of those things that that reminds me kind of one of the bigger things about Stormblood when it came out. I mean, obviously, um, I think part of the reason that uh, a lot of players' views have maybe deteriorated a little bit about Stormblood is because we... We we got Shadowbringers after this. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. It's like <laughs> Shadowbringers is us, like way up yeah. here. <laughs> it's like they gave us lemon meringue pie, which is amazing. But then they gave us like German chocolate cake, so we're like, okay, mm. well that was good, but also this is good. Yeah, but yeah. one of the one of the things I really remember um, about the the first I few actually weeks, like lemon meringue pie more. <laughs> I'm more, more of like Me a Boston too, Boston you. cream guy, but anyway. Today on Faith Rate Radio, top ten pies. Um, um, was was the media in particular uh, just really being like this? You know, the Shinryu fight is impossible. It's too hard. Difficulty, difficulty, difficulty. That's all I remember from the media circuit for mm. for Stormblood. Was everybody just saying how difficult the the final battle was? Um, yeah. Which I. Yeah, go ahead. You do. I mean, it was you had to pay attention and it was so weird and it was long. Sure. But uh, I feel like I it set know. an unfortunate precedent for what we have now. Yeah, it's true. But yeah. that is that is 100 percent from my perspective where I go into some content and I'm like, that could have that could have been a little harder. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt that honestly, that Shinryu fight. I think at release, going through, uh, mm-hmm. 
is one of the things that really stands out to me in Stormblood in a really positive way. It was so hard. I think it's one of the few fights because I didn't play through Heavensward before they tuned down Final Steps of Faith. But it was one of the few fights that I think I've gotten to that final fight, that final instance, and we wiped multiple times <laughs> at release. And I was just going, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And it was one of the first fights that actually I remember in the game personally made me look at multiple cast bars in a single boss mm -hmm. fight because he does the different things like the different elements, but they cast from different wings, which then obviously gets iterated upon in the extreme fight. And to this day, I still love when that fight pops up because to me, it felt like a final battle mm -hmm. and it yeah. felt like something that was an expansion in the making and was so epic and so intense. Now I got grumpier about it when I was trying to farm <laughs> for the mounts in extreme sure. version. Sure. But to me, I loved that fight. And yeah, it definitely sticks out of my memory from Stormblood. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I, that is probably one of my favorite fights now that you mention it yeah i mean it's, yeah. it's one it of those... just makes me think back to uh when not everybody had a knockback nullifier mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's one of the first things they hit you with and you're like okay well everybody use your knockback and i'm like i'm a bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it, it really was i think uh it's one of those things like it's it's the final boss fight like you don't want it to be like a rollover mm -hmm. like it's like oh stab once you got me <laughs> but like at the same time i mean the 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 coverage of the the fight's difficulty i think really mm -hmm. did probably you know square saw that and said oh this is what people are hearing about the game that it's too hard mm -hmm. and then the next expansion we had trust dungeons right yeah. we had yeah soloable content i'm i'm really curious you know because on, on one hand right i mean Looking at the overall player base, mm -hmm. okay, you, you take like a couple hundred media outlets versus like millions of players, right? It's yeah. like vocal minority. But I mean, maybe there are also going to be players who agree with the media sure. outlets that it is sure. so hard, that it is more difficult. Yeah, and I, that was fair. That affected play. Like yeah. I remember when I would be running mentor roulettes, or I'd even I'd run a roulette where it would pop up. People would queue into it and just leave. Mm -hmm. And we'd have to wait for other players yeah. to fill because People nobody used to wanted do that to deal with, with it. With Steps of Faith as well. They'd get in and be like, nope, and just, <laughs> they're gone. Where you see people do this is where the casual and hardcore community interacts for the only times. Mm -hmm. 24 mans. Nobody, let's, let's take off clothes so we don't have to go to that one because it's going to be hard because there's hardcore and there's casual and there's the mixing there. And that's sure. where the pain points are. Everybody has to beat Shinryu. Everybody has to do it. Oh, no. And, you know and that's where you seen? get to it. Uh -huh. More and more people uh, are willing to speak up and say, hey, this is how you do the mechanic. Mm -hmm. And more and more of those people are doing it nicely. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, true. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, it's it's really interesting in that the, the reason that Shinryu is hard has not changed. And it's only because everything else is so easy until you get to the end. Everything else is super easy until you get to Thor then. To Shinryu. Yeah. To uh, Hades. Remember that? I mean, yeah. we'll talk about that the next time. But that's exactly <laughs> why. And you yeah. can't get around that unless you make it harder before that, which they will not do. Yeah. And I, I agree with them. I mean, and it makes sense. Like, it's that progression of difficulty. Yeah. Like, it's just like you go through and then at the end it's a little harder than everything. Like, that's how it should be. That's fine. Be. Yeah. Last yeah. bosses in Final Fantasy are supposed to rock you. 
the first exactly. time. It is so fascinating to me because when you think about how many of us, and now I think single player games are helped current in modern day by difficulties that you can set, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I'm guilty of this too. I know that there have been some games I personally have such limited time to dedicate to single player games now. I love them. They are still some of my favorite things. I love single player narratives, but I've even found myself going through a playthrough and I set it on the hardest difficulty and I go, I do not have time for this. Yeah. I am enjoying it, but it is gonna take me like three times as long and mm -hmm. I don't have time for this. However, it's still funny to me, though, because I think within a single player format, minus those kinds of things, we tend to expect almost more of a troubleshooting process. Yeah. I don't know if this is because you are alone and within that you are puzzling through by yourself, whereas there's that kind of social pressure in an MMO. Mm -hmm. You might get frustrated because either other people are getting through the story faster than you or you feel embarrassed because you're around other people who might watch you fail. I'm not sure if that's the deciding factor, but when I think about so many of these games that we all fell in love with first and how a single battle as a child could cause you to rage mm -hmm. quit 17 times, or even as an adult, <laughs> could cause yeah. you to rage quit 17 times and yet you still go back and eventually figure it out. It's always been interesting to me that in something like an MMO, when you get to that kind of final battle, that you wouldn't, I don't know, that you would want to tune it down in a sense, because to me, that part of failure or that part of difficulty is is also part of what gives us the emotional overcoming of challenge, right? Mm -hmm. So not that it has mm -hmm. to be so brutal nobody can clear it, but enough that it feels like it matches and lives up to the stakes of what is narratively happening and what our sort of action arc is. Yeah. So when you win, you have that feeling of, oh man, that was crazy and I did yeah. it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of a lot of it comes down to uh worrying about the judgment of others mm -hmm. yeah because you know they're no matter where you go especially in video games online you're gonna get those people who are like that was so easy why couldn't you do that mm -hmm. like those people maybe need to chill out well, a little and, bit. And, and the way that i think people tackle these things has changed too i mean you know one way to look at it, i think probably the, the intended way to look at it right is um you go through and then you have the, the normal mode and then you have the extreme trial that comes later like let people get the story done and then if they want a challenging fight they'll mm -hmm. get it next patch or something and that's yeah. you know that's that's fine it's, it is what it is but I, I think yeah. something that's changed a lot too is um obviously like difficulty as you progress through the entirety of the game which makes sense right but I think mm -hmm. since you know 2010 um the idea of oh we're all on comms now like they're like I me having podcasted for 14 years, I totally have like anxiety about like going into Party Finder and like joining a bunch of randos on Discord. I don't I I, mm. I can't do it. That's not me. That's not Fusion. my thing. I know. Fusion. I know. I have it's, a static, right? So it's yeah. it's okay. But it's like and you know, I know I'm not the only one. It's that idea of like yeah, I, you know, picking up uh, uh you know in, in Party Finder or Duty Finder or whatever. It's just it's not for yeah. everybody. MMOs are where that happens the most just because MMO players and I'm going to paint with a very broad brush, just <laughs> MMOs in, in general, the players who play MMOs and succeed at them are usually more hardcore. Look at Island Sanctuary. How many spreadsheets are there? Yes, Animal Crossing fans do that as well. But MMO fans, like especially if you've played more than one, you are used to that hyper- like, okay, well, I got to do this. I got to hit this cap. I got to do that. What's my best in slot? Yeah, what's my yeah. best in slot? 
you go the gear's to not out that. yet but i know what it is yeah, exactly right you look it all up and you get crazily prepared and for some people if they go into something and other people aren't as prepared they go oh look at them they're not doing any yeah, of this work yeah i mean there, you know, there was you don't want to be looked at like that going around this this past week somebody that yes was, had tweeted about it mm-hmm. and check my my retweets it was awful yeah. um but it's it's also that idea too. I think you know, looking at um, MMO versus other games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in an MMO, there is, regardless of how much time you spend with, say, like a pickup group in Discord, right? Mm-hmm. You'll recognize those names walking around Limsa or something later on, right? There's a, <laughs> it's it's that more community kind of a thing, sure. right? Whereas. You, you play Call of Duty, some 13-year-old kid said he had relations with your mom. You're never going to run into him ever again, right? Ugh. So it's it's that, like, you know, seeing other people. But, like, people will recognize names mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. in a game like this. And, you know, kind of going off that, you know, that pressure or embarrassment of, like, not mm-hmm. wanting to fail in front of other people. Um, but, yeah, so I think it, ultimately it's it's good that we do have the the multiple difficulty things yes um, it lets yeah. people get the story what? done and then if mm-hmm. people want the harder yeah. challenge we have extremes you know we, we we not necessarily grouse but you know when they go back and they change something like recently they changed steps of faith to uh be mm-hmm. easier and i guess a solo thing mm. uh it's more like oh man but that wasn't too bad it really wasn't that bad and they back changed in, it in, in the first place you know back in my but, day we had to do this and yeah, mm-hmm. so I was I was bummed out when they changed it to begin with. I get why. Yeah. Uh, if you had one person amongst you who knew what they were doing, it wasn't that bad. If you didn't, it could have been pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> when they when they changed stuff like you know a patch, not a patch, uh, an expansion or two later, actually it's three, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. It's no, been a two. while. Anyway, <laughs> when they when they when they change stuff years and years and years and years later, I don't think that's necessarily terrible i'll miss the previous one but it also sort of streamlines things for people to get to the end definitely definitely and i mean stormblood it's interesting that we have this conversation right at the start of thinking about and talking about stormblood because when we were talking about heavensward we were discussing the fact that they have recently stated with the return of things like sephiroth uh, mm-hmm. in the, you know, Unreal version, that Heavensward was a tipping point for them in sort of encounter design and difficulty thresholds. And yet, I think it was Stormblood where we actually saw that solidified mm-hmm. because it yeah. felt like they were kind of pushing the envelope a little bit in certain regards in Stormblood, where we had certain things that I think felt much more like, oh, okay, well, let's take a look at the lower end of our okay i say this with no judgment like Mm -hmm. the lower skill end of our player base and then let's look at the higher skill this isn't to say that you can't still play this game and love it um just in like the regards to how they were going to try and meet in the middle for this right Mm -hmm. so they're looking at that skill floor skill ceiling and we got some stuff where I think for a lot of it, they they did go up much easier. And then we got a few fights where I think they were like, but let's just see if maybe mm-hmm. we do this or we do that, how it's received. And from Stormblood beyond and after, even things like the class balancing, which we'll talk about, and all kinds of other stuff, really saw a shift in mentality and a shift in design that I think wouldn't really hit until Shadowbringers, but that was solidified, formulated, and like 
patched and adjusted and changed in many ways in Stormblood. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we get to that, I mean, we, we will definitely get to that. But uh, when it comes to like other initial thoughts about just what do I remember the most about Stormblood, just in general, right? Um, even beyond the Shinryu fight, I do remember the very first time that they unveiled uh, Shirogane for us, or Kugane, <laughs> oh and Kugane, gosh. and yeah. I should say, um, although Shirogane is a part of it. Yes, yeah. yes! And I still to this day think that Kugane is my favorite city in the game. I think it's so beautiful. The details are unreal. All the little buildings and areas, and I just found that whole landscape to be so captivating and it, i'm glad because i also simultaneously felt like all amigo was so disappointed yeah. <laughs> but i still to this day will just go to kugane because i just think they did such a beautiful job with the environment there and i just want to see more of hingashi and you know parts of the region and doma that weren't destroyed because there's so much gorgeous design in those yeah. zones i, I remember- love the the like roof roof setup it's it's a weird thing to say but like yeah. the way the roofs are set up and the way they have those strings of lights between them and how you can run along the, the strings puzzles and, lights and, and yeah, stuff. yeah 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 i remember good. uh square enix invited me out to, to frankfurt for that fan fest for stormblood um and i remember sitting there with my little bluetooth keyboard with my phone like live tweeting like the stuff right as it was coming and uh you know they, they play the because this was the this was the first time we had the full the full trailer and so yeah. up to that point, we had gotten uh, the fight on the, the the Rogger statue, and that was kind of it. So, like, that scene goes, I'm like, okay, cool. Looked out at a tweet, and the music keeps going. And then I look up, and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And it's, like, <laughs> yeah. going across the map. And I'm like, ah! Um, it was the first time they did that, too. Yeah, yeah, that was the first time they did that. And it was, I, I think, when I when I think back on that, I think it was, you know, you look at, the the history that Final Fantasy fourteen had had up to that point, where you have a game that was made and helmed by people that worked on eleven, didn't maybe work out so hot. Then they bring in Naoki Yoshida to salvage it, right? And then he creates the A Realm Reborn story, and then he kind of continues where the original more or less wanted to go with Ishgard, right? Mm-hmm. And then the you know by by one lore, there's really one place that's left, right? which is Alamigo. But at this point too, he would like to do his own thing and, mm. and be able to create something new instead of just kind of building on what's already been established. So he's like, Oh, let's add the far East too." may or may not have been a good idea. Right. Depending on, on who you talk to. <laughs> right. um, but I think this was also the start of, of Yoshida really not that he hadn't taken charge of the game many years before. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think this was the, the first time where Yoshida really jumped in and said, okay, I want to create like a whole new area and I want to do something that's mine. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, going back to um, talking about difficulty and stuff, I remember me and, and LD were lucky enough to be invited to the media tour for Stormblood. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Rook, you were absolutely right. They, they talked like, you know, specifically mentioned raising that skill floor. Um, mm-hmm. I also remember them saying they wanted to reduce buttons and then also adding duty actions in like the same sentence. And you're like, what? Uh- that doesn't yep. make sense. We're going to take different. out buttons, That's only but a also add buttons. buttons. It's like, I, I had totally forgotten that duty actions, duty they action, did yeah. start in Stormblood. Also, also job job gauges. Yeah, job, job gauges, gauges were yeah. new with, with, uh, yep. with Stormblood as well. Um, that was that was yeah. interesting. I mean, it's, Stormblood you know, and then, set us up. 
you get you know you coming off of of what had been final fantasy up to that point you're like okay red mage like you literally couldn't yeah. play red mage without a job gauge <laughs> like there's no mm-hmm. way to like buffs or like you can't you can't do it oh, and so red that mage. was that was really really interesting to see um I was so you bring excited. up yeah, oh, buddy, you I were so excited. excited. I'm so sorry. I mean, I'm. You can still, still you can still switch over to it, throw up your rapier, and puff your collar. And yeah, it's okay. Red Mage is its own thing because you've talked about this a lot, right? You've talked a lot about the fact, Aldino. I think we've had a lot of discussions about this recently. If you're going with the exchange, if you're going to penalize a class mm-hmm. that has a utility, but then penalize it in some other way, and yet that utility is a very limited use or Mm -hmm. really doesn't matter that much in the long run or things like that. It can be good in very specific situations, but then you're seeing it be hampered. And I think this is even more relevant as well. Oh, yes. um, As we look currently at the world race and other things that were happening um, with a bit of this gap in the actual performance of classes as we say that has made it so that even high-end raid groups are not able to meet various checks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about this as we look forward. And we did see a lot of the start of this and solidification of this around Stormblood, right? Um, But Red Mage still as a class with its flair, I was so excited in Stormblood because it is the like perfect aesthetic that I live for. (laughs) You have that caster, but then also a duelist. And it's just so good. And the animations, and I even thought the quests and things were really fun for this one. So... While it has some other, you know, maybe issues, I think that thematically both Samurai oh, yeah. and Red Mage were really exciting parts they of really the release. Yeah, they were really cool. Yeah, and, you know, Samurai with its kind of meld of ninja, but not really, you know, you don't hit mudras to get your stickers. I remember as soon as we saw the gauge, we're like, okay, so you collect stamps. All right. How is this going to be different? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was I, I think... was excited for Samurai. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I played a lot of Samurai in uh, in eleven, um, and right. so they're like Samurai. I'm like cool, but then they're like, but also like mostly cloth armor. I'm like no, <laughs> but then like Omega came out. They're like, would you like some heavy armor for Samurai? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now there is one thing that I think, personally at least, is one of the most memorable things from Stormblood <laughs> that we have not yet talked about because mm-hmm. we are. Its own category in the outline, which yeah. is Raubon Extreme, and to a lesser degree, yeah. Pippin Extreme. <laughs> part part of the reason we praised the, the smoothness, smoothness, smoothness. What are words? Um, the smoothness of of Shadowbringers' launch is because of this fucking duty block. Like, <laughs> yeah. so basically, what this is, and I mean, this was a huge learning experience for for Square Enix, right? Um, when you jump into the Stormblood MSQ, obviously, like, it, you know, takes you around a little bit. And then you're like, okay. And then you talk to Raubon and you go into, like, a single player instance. And then you do that. And then you move on. But, like, lots of people were playing the game at this point to the point where, like, you just couldn't get into the instance because so many people were doing it. I can actively remember, like, waking up, like, the first week of Stormblood to use, like, the restroom. And I'm just, like, looking at my phone. And then somebody says, like, I just got through Raubon. And I was like, <gasps> I woke up my wife at four in the morning and yeah. I'm like, they fixed Raubon. We should probably go do it right now so we can get past it. And she just gets, all right. And we like both walk out, log <laughs> in. And like, it was 
Uh, I love gamer couples because you both just get it. You both just fucking get it. We understand. We know what's up. I love the background to that is that a server died so we all may live. Like a server went down. It like completely crashed and then it unblocked for a couple of data centers, right? Like Mm -hmm. there, there there was some big catastrophe where a couple of servers went down and then everyone's like, oh, we can get in through Rawbon. And I remember being on Reddit and watching people go, take my energy. I can't even log in. You do it. Go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bebop and I, we were the opposite. Mm. We are stubborn folks and we uh-huh. refuse, we refuse to submit. And I remember for two days straight mm-hmm. because Bebop stays up so late. Bebop usually stays up until like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I usually go to bed earlier, but for like two days straight, with the exception of maybe an hour or two when our sleep schedules, you know, like mm-hmm. overlapped, we were just trying to get into the Raubon yeah. instance. And you just stand there because it, it was so funny. I just, yeah. I actually loved this because to me, this is one of the most memorable moments of all of Final Fantasy fourteen because the community was coming together to try to troubleshoot something that we had no control over nobody could possibly dictate but that we were all going to try our best to do anything to rectify so we had people creating cues where you literally were just in a line Mm -hmm. and in the line everybody's like now wait five seconds the final fantasy 11 method It was so funny. There were rumors flying left and right about exactly what hour would let you do it. There Hmm. were rumors about if you did this fate and then came over, you'd be able to instance into Raubon if you did all these things. I mean, everybody was just buying into whatever superstitious, like if you do three circles in your room and (laughs) pray to the 12. Face north and (laughs) I get on a VPN. It might help. The thing I remember is. Because uh, obviously, like, people had gotten past it, right? Mm-hmm. I actively remember people being like, hey, I unlocked flight. You want to, like, just see the rest of the zone since you can't mm-hmm. progress and just find other people around yeah. that, like, didn't had no right being on that other side of the map yeah. yet. But it's like, can't do anything else yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, usually, usually when the expansion comes out, we do early morning streams on, on, this, on this channel right there. Um, and I took the first shift, so I actually got through Raubon before there was a Raubon Extreme. Mm-hmm. So I finished Ooh. the expansion while some people were still chilling in that line. Getting that, <laughs> that, that gamer street cred there. <laughs> I don't know if it's street cred. I'm just going to say I was lucky. <laughs> I yeah. did finally, when I finally made it in, I got about halfway through the fight and then it crashed. No! Earlier we were talking about rage quits. I think that oh, is baby. is the yeah. fourteen rage quit right there. That is yeah. computer out of the That's window rough. levels of. Oof. It <laughs> was rough. I do think I got up. I think after the two days, I got up and I went like, I need to go for a walk. And I just like, went outside. Oh my god! <laughs> I sat there for so long, just like at my computer. I got swollen feet. I remember yeah. that. Right? Wow. I was like, really? Yeah, I was like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, I mean, because we all had gone through Heaven's Word and we knew it was going to be good, right? Like, sure. we knew it was going to be great. So we were all just trying to get through Rob on Extreme. Like, I, I looked out and got through, I forget. I think when whatever server went down, I forget what, what Brave server it was. But then I got through. And I just motored the rest of the way. I did not talk to anybody. 
I did not do it. The people Hold like, my calls. You wanna, yeah, you wanna you wanna go to to this dungeon together? No, I don't. I'm just gonna go through as quickly as I possibly can. I mean, it, while it's enjoying one of those the story. Things. I mean, you know, obviously, like with with a Romney born and with Heaven's Word, like yeah, like you said, like the story. We like we were expecting mm-hmm. great things from the story, and to get to a point where the game's just like, no, you're no. like, but but story, no. but new things, and the game's just like. Nope, sorry, your name's not on the list. It's like, and it was so early into the expansion. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing. It's funny because, in some ways, I do think it gave me more of an appreciation of that starting area because. I, I mean, people, what were you doing? If you got sick of waiting in line or, you know, like Bebop and I were trading off, waiting in the, the line to see, mm-hmm. you know, can you get up there and can you get instanced in? Can you just click? Can you get into it? And when we weren't doing that, we were just doing fates in the area mm-hmm. and just running around. And I normally try to explore anyway, but because it was so early on in the story, I do funnily enough still feel a really, I think, great sense of nostalgia when I go back to that. You know, you know every inch of the first part of the fringes mm-hmm. just by yes. memory. You can just explore the whole thing in your mind. Yeah, and like the water <laughs> and the sort of russet colored trees in mm-hmm. that area. I do think it's a beautiful little, you know, little tidbit yeah. of a map right there. But also, it was in an inescapable prison. We were all trapped. Yeah. <laughs> In after having waited for months only to take the first steps in the new expansion and just be unable to continue. Yeah. And it did mm-hmm. raise so much discussion in the community, right? Because obviously everybody needs to take care of themselves. Don't, you know, endanger your well-being, get food, take stretch breaks, exercise, even put your while feet you up. are... Don't do yeah, what's ended. <laughs> Learn from are, her mistakes. <laughs> while you are cramming for a new expansion. But... Um, there is so much discussion in the community and there was a lot of outrage during this, right? Because people had taken days off of work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People had taken vacation time. People, you know, were really looking forward to this. And of course, as longtime MMO players, I think we all know that at a certain point, if you only have a day that you can take off, right, you should not do it the day of release because... Yeah, like, it's it's like, you know, especially like you look at Shadowbringers and, you know, obviously they learned from from this, right, with Shadowbringers, where early on they they give you a fork. They're like, okay, either go see Alizé or go see Alphano. And that eliminated this kind of instance yeah. problem um but i mean it's it's one of those things yeah i mean things can go wrong like it's just the nature of an mmo especially one that's been getting more and more popular like final yeah. fantasy 14 i mean i you know i still remember uh when arr launched being at the the launch event at, at what was pax prime back then and they were having issues with queues and people couldn't log in. And mm-hmm. I remember telling Yoshi, and I'm like, well, like, it, it's, you know, it's a problem, but it's like a good problem to have. And I could tell he was just like, no, it's still a huge problem. <laughs> like, he was really bothering him. Like, it's just, you know, things are going to happen, especially with like a new patch or a new expansion. You're going to have people coming back. And so it's 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 impossible to predict the kind of traffic that those servers are going to get, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was not, not exactly weird, but because I did get past uh, Rabon so early on. I was I was there with uh, my RP partner, and both of us are DPS. We're trying to level our DPS together, first thing. And not only were DPS queues worse then, there weren't as many people available to mm-hmm. run the mm-hmm. stuff that was coming up. So queues were very long, which means yeah. that all of my quests in all of the Stormblood areas are done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
which is not the case in in any of the uh, ones after Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Which is a little bit sad, but also I don't mind that much. Yeah. Yeah, they very clearly learned from that and I think shifted mm-hmm. how they divvy up some of the uh, load with that. And uh, we also, I mean, at the time we had different instances in servers. I, I remember yeah. that, that, you know, yep. you'd had different instances of the maps. But even so, with that kind of narrative um, choke point, it was so difficult just to get people through that. With the way, at least, that it seems like they have structured some of their mm-hmm. instance content and I guess how that operates on stuff like servers i mean and yet we are still seeing bits of that linger to this day with things like the island sanctuary problems uh and other things there so obviously there's something behind the scenes that doesn't flexibly scale or maybe wasn't quite made in a way that is really conducive to these kinds of fluctuations in Mm -hmm. population or demand for stuff like that um but i mean they have found a lot of ways, especially in story, from Stormblood on to try and make it so that that doesn't happen as much. Yeah. And that, you know, they're not just uh, having player bases run into these kinds of issues. Right. And it's yeah. given them the, we'll say street cred again, uh, amongst all the other MMOs that they have the smoothest launches, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. They're yeah. like world famous for their smooth lunches now i mean it was you know, it was so weird coming into endwalker after after shadowbringer like shadowbringers was the smoothest launch of anything i've ever seen but then endwalker yeah. it's like what do you mean there's login queues like <laughs> it's, like it's the you know we got spoiled point, yeah capacity yeah. is inelastic like it's in a, you can't fix it you have mm-hmm. to fix it by teaching the players to do something else or just making them do it splitting them up slowing them down <laughs> Yeah. Not putting an instance at that point, but then it's just going to keep going further and further back, right? So it's like, okay, well, we got that done. You can get through the story. Well, now everyone's trying to get in the server so quickly that we can't. Okay, well, that's a, okay. Well, we got to fix that one too. Well, that one's inelastic. How are we going to fix that? Yeah, that, it's, it's that's like where we're going to be. You know, like day once uh, expansion goes up, you know the servers are going to get hammered, but you're not going to like. Mm-hmm go and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for no. server hardware for the first week like it's gonna die down like uh related you know we, we mentioned island sanctuary are you able to get an island sanctuary on balmug now yeah yeah i'm pretty sure see it's, <laughs> like it's, it's like the third or fourth yeah. day there wasn't yeah, an it's, issue it's it's, it's calmed it's calm yeah, down yeah, it's, it's fine. fine yeah so like they're not yeah. gonna spend the the, re, the you know the money to, to buff that up just for a couple days like it's not practical um mm. but Anyway, how um, crazy would it have been if they released Island Sanctuary with the beginning of uh, Endwalker? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, would have been that, that would have been cruel. Terrible. Yeah. Would have been, been a shit show. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah, would have been awful. And they learned that. Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So. So next time, next time you're upset about something being delayed a little bit, maybe think about that. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. I think they have to really pay attention to how they're going to release and balance content in the game, right? And when players are going to be doing certain things or they might want to propel through story or, you know, various other things, progression, those sorts of things. So, yeah, no, Island Sanctuary was great where it is. Um, but thinking of things that were introduced into the game or new features or new, you know, uh, new things that we got to experience. Going back to those Stormblood days, we already touched a little bit on the new classes. But we did get Samurai and Red Mage. So between those, what do you think was your favorite addition? Which one did you like the most? Which do you think uh, maybe has been the best long term as far as the jobs that we got in Stormblood? I think that's a hard question because I think in this, this this maybe skips ahead just a smidge. I mean, I think 
with with Stormblood, especially, I think there was a very, very good spot to use Red Mage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, some people are like, Red Mage, what's that? Oh, Eureka Mage. That's okay. That, <laughs> that Res Mage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I leveled Red Mage for Eureka, and it was fucking amazing to, to have in yeah. there. I'll tell you. It's it true. was It was wonderful. Um, I mean, Samurai, obviously, it was just, it was another DPS. It was a fun DPS. Um, having two DPSs, right? That's, that kind of creates its own issue again with, with queues. Mm-hmm. We talk about, you know, trying to queue up with, with two DPS. So we haven't had that since then. Um, kind of another, another learning moment <laughs> from, from, uh, from Stormblood. But, um, I think they're, they're both okay. I think, I think definitely that, um, Red Mage is, I wouldn't call it a limited job. But I think it it fills like kind of a niche void. Like when you look at content like Eureka and Boja, I think it's very, very, very good for that type of bigger open zone mm-hmm. content. Um, and I think it, it kind of fills a need that it can be filled by like a white mage or, you know, whatever. It but actually I actually does mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, echoing from Eleven at times because yes, um, exactly. if you if you are. Uh, aren't really comfortable in a tank and you want to go and solo something for whatever reason, Red Mage is really good for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can heal yourself. Instead instead of using Jolt to proc your procs, <laughs> use Cure. Yeah. Cure yourself. Yeah. yeah. I, I really liked uh, Red Mage. Uh, for, of the two, Red Mage was definitely my favorite. I thought the playstyle was really fun. Just in general, Red Mage was very fun to play. Yeah. It, even now and then, it's not necessarily you know the best damage class. It does have a lot of utility, as we always say. Yep. But uh, I think, I think the one that has had probably more of a lasting effect has been Samurai. There have been a lot of uh, changes that because have involved, the, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Samurai trying to make Samurai work and and be that selfish DPS that mm-hmm. it is. It felt I always so make fun of Samurai. Op like, when it came out. <laughs> yeah, I always make fa- yeah. fun of Samurai. Take face, put on keyboard, move around. You're a good Samurai. <laughs> Uh, you can I was, freestyle. I was always it's so jealous of, of just the timers on Samurai for like the, yep. you know, like, like stance timers and stuff. Uh, not because, you know, there, there were, but because there weren't any, like you could like get your stamps and they would just sit there forever. forever. Meanwhile, I'm over here <laughs> on Dragoon needing to like yeah. refresh blood of the dragon. And I'm like, I want to be more like that one. <laughs> so many Dragoons moved over at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Like that was a big Dra- point. Dragoon I mean, Reaper was even more. such a clusterfuck of oh, a job at Stormblood. Yeah. It, really it really was. was. <laughs> yeah, there's like I Samurai and Red Mage, their jobs. That's cool, but like what what they have done to the, the kind of balancing that then we have to think about. Ah, uh, Stormblood, and I'm gonna say it, and it's mm-hmm. a hot take. Stormblood is why we're in this position we're in now with bad balance. And it's like we haven't gotten into it. It's not specifically Samurai and Red Mage, but direct hit. Ah, this is when we got direct hit and we got rid of accuracy, which is a great idea. Like, we don't need to worry about accuracy. You remember having to get front accuracy and like, what is it? Coil? I sure do. I I hated it. I was I was. I was leveling a uh, conjurer the other day, like mm-hmm. a brand new conjurer, and I cast arrow on something and I missed, and I was like, "Excuse me, yeah. it's like wait, <laughs> we do that miss? still?" It, yeah. it kind of, yeah, it it took like something that okay, you just had to hit a threshold and added more randomness. 
and they added a job that has really big hits, but it feels bad when you don't crit or direct hit. So, ah, uh, well, how are we going to fix that? Well, let's make it automatically happen. And you can see where we're going to, to where we mm -hmm. get now. Um, you know, and, and Red Mage is great, but it furthered along the whole utility taxing, especially for utility that's not always useful. Like, if you don't have to raise, why are you doing less damage? It's, I don't yeah, know. Having, having utility, and, mm. and I think something is utility heavy, right? As, as like yeah. Red Mage, it feels really weird and maybe like, uh, you know, on paper or, you know, at a glance, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not the best idea in a game that doesn't have a role dedicated to classes sure. with utility. Like, it's a DPS, right? But it could also do this... But it's a DPS. Yeah. Well, well we're going to make it to feeling... less DPS mm -hmm. because, but it's a DPS. <laughs> you kind of feel, end up feeling bad for Red Mage because you take Red Mage in when you're progging. And as soon as you don't need those raises mm -hmm. anymore, you switch to Black Mage yep. or a different yeah. job entirely. Whatever you can. Anything else. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it is, it's so rough because I think thematically, like I talked about earlier, both of these classes, I like what they bring to the table. Samurai is, while it has those fantasy effects, it's also mm -hmm. very elegant. I think it has some really beautiful visuals. I really yeah. like, you know, the way that they, I think, made it very streamlined visually. Red Mage was everything I ever wanted. I love the backflips. I love the magic swords. I love the leap in for your combo. Mm -hmm. It's so good. All of that is so well done. But I absolutely agree. I think this was a point where... Like we talked about, Stormblood had a huge resounding impact on all sorts of stuff moving forward, including encounter design mm -hmm. and class balance and class design mentality. Because we had, at this point, Samurai introduced, which I think maybe did... My thought is that they were trying to implement a range of melee DPS skill ceiling, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of the other melee DPS, as a role at that point, and with some of the precedent from you know, the idea of having these slightly more higher skill ceiling classes that you know was a thing they were trying to do in Heavensward, um, mm -hmm. where this would be a specific category almost into its, like, unto itself. Mm -hmm. um, I think they realized that melee DPS in particular just had some of the highest skill ceiling, most finicky, but also most potential for DPS out of the classes, which I actually kind of like, I won't lie. I feel like if you're going to play that kind of class and you have to take higher risks to be within range, then why not have a higher payoff for proficiency? As long as there's risk, yeah. Yes, to me, I find that rewarding, but I understand that other people might not if they resonate with the class for different reasons. So Samurai came in, but then suddenly we were having all these discussions mm -hmm. about, you know, well, Samurai can get the same numbers, but not have to do 50 of the finicky things that we have to do just to try and hit the same number. And from then on, almost all of the melee DPS balancing was almost centered around that. Not in, although they did add some complexity to Samurai, it much more became about how do we make the other classes more in line with Samurai's skill mm -hmm. play so that, you know, we're reducing some of the effort. And in certain regards, there really were changes that I think were good to make in, you know, in making a class more intuitive, more streamlined, more, you know, but at the same time, I think we lost a lot of complexity. Meanwhile, over with the healers, I mean, this is kind of transitioning us into our yeah. overall balance discussion from, from Stormblood. But meanwhile, over in the healers, we had what I felt was kind of one of the shining moments for Astrologian, 
Not necessarily because, you know, I understand everybody's fishing for balance, right? But I think that they had in many ways nailed the kind of higher skill ceiling play version of Ast where it was really rewarding, it was really fun. Again, if you could get everything to line up, it became so intuitive, so second nature. And yes, there was a much higher learning curve, but I switched from White Mage to Ast in Stormblood and I mained Astrologian in Endgame because it was so much fun and I found it so rewarding to play this little mini game. Meanwhile, because of things like the job gauges that had been introduced, White Mage was in the most baffling and bizarre place yes. it had yes. ever been in because like half of its abilities- What the hell is made... this for? Yes, like you had the, like there was no difference between having two or three lilies yeah. but the the uh water bubble shield that we have was you could only do it with like two lilies or something like that but it didn't get stronger if you waited for three yeah. lilies mm -hmm. and then you had all these other things that were just like these bizarre extraneous and i, I like, think a lot of that happened too because it was the job gauges right it's like yes, oh, we have job exactly. gauges now that means it has to do something for every something. job uh, we'll give white mage flowers. Okay. Yep. <laughs> what did they do? Uh, stuff, I guess. Yep. <laughs> it's exactly. very strange. What the hell did plenary indulgence do? I don't know. I still don't know what it used to do to this day. <laughs> I forget. It is gone from my brain. Yeah. It, it was really... They were looking for a problem to fix with the job gauges. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Samurai, yeah. Samurai didn't need it, but Red Mage abs absolutely needed it. And there's no way that that design would have ever happened without that gauge, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure it could have been something else before that. But then you have to backport that. And some of those applications were just downright dumb. And it took the entire expansion to fix it. Like, the whole one. I was going through the patch notes. Yeah. And just seeing the changes, like 4.1, the list of like job balancing patch notes are insane. Like so much potency, so much actual change to how it works too. Um, like so, so much stuff that they just, uh, no, this is the way it works. It works differently now because that that's dumb. We're going to change that. Yeah. Um, 4.1 was wacky. Can uh, I just say, mm -hmm. are, are you, I'm are, sorry, are you done? Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, can I just say monk? Yeah. Like, what? What even? Here's the job gauge, and also still keep up Grease Lightning, and also this other thing is kind of still also a job gauge. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It was it was messy. Monk was messy. That's when they introduced True North as well. 4.0 is when they introduced True mm -hmm. North, I do believe. Yeah. That's so, right. yeah, they saw that it was a problem, and they went, ah, we'll, we'll do something to fix that. And, you know, positionals still get brought up. The reason that... I, not very saltily, but I interjected in the, the melee part, is that yes, if it is more risk to have to do your job, it should be more damage. I agree with that. But Stormblood was the start of it becoming not, right? Because True North, because some of the easing, I think Stormblood is the first time we ever had omnidirectional bosses as well. Like, yeah, I think towards the end, um, was Shinri omnidirectional? Had to be, right? Probably. I, I remember a lot of stuff in Eureka was. Phase one was. Yeah, Eureka had a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's that process of, okay, well, we've gotten it. Everybody likes this game now. Well, let's try and fix these little things. And 
you know, you overshoot in both directions when you try. I feel like there's not, maybe not an equal risk, but Mm -hmm. having to be away from the boss as a, as a range GPS, you ought to try and be close to the boss when there's space anyway, because if you're not, you miss heals, you miss shields. So having to be away from the boss is at times just as risky as being next to it. You You miss a shield, you're dead. You literally have to move twice. And yet we have seen them even adjusting that continually. Mm -hmm. I think from the Stormblood point onwards, which I hadn't really thought about, but you're very much right because they kept expanding. In Stormblood, there was so much feedback about things like Astrologian Star, the size Mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, Sacred Soil, these sorts of things. And because arenas aren't, again, they're not like leaning into that where we have massive arenas and as a part of ranged and part of why you would bring range to the table, they have to go far out uh, beyond the radius of those things. And then they get some big payoff for it and they're moving around or they're going to different platforms that other people can't, but they can still reach or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, We haven't seen them lean into that. So it is something where Yes, we, we've seen them ease that more and more and more over time, which is both good in many ways, because is I don't know, is it fair that we have an entire DPS subsect that has to do a thing in the game that no one else ever has to worry about when it comes to things like directionals? Maybe you can argue against it, maybe not. I don't personally find positionals to be super, super fun myself, but I do think that they add to the class fantasy. They add to the distinction of the play style of that role. Mm-hmm. And they are very, you know, they give you a different challenge than a fight to yeah. work around and position around, which I think is good, I right? Mean, yeah. And they also barely matter now. Well, and, and That's I, the other I thing. think. T- too right the way that i would view it i mean aside from like the perfect rotation which like you're mm-hmm. never gonna hit right why not like, well i you know like <laughs> you, you fat finger a key you or you know what i mean like you're never gonna have that like machine perfect every encounter right i believe rating. in you oh I believe thanks in you. thanks <laughs> i don't um but like <laughs> the idea of having those positionals that's really all that is there in terms of like being able to you know that that little bit of like ceiling, that little bit of improvement. Yeah, that's when it the comes only to, difficulty. That's it. It's just positionals, and it's just like I, I've, I don't know. I've always thought that they're they're yeah. dumb, um, but I mean, but, I, but 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 it's also the only thing that we have in order right. that you know to differentiate us from from that. So because uptime is a hundred percent almost all the yeah. time. You look at like the current. We're looking at current, and I won't go into it too much because that's a whole another show. That's that's that's, a that's, a, that's an right entire now. show. Yeah. Oh man, that's <laughs> a big topic right now. But you look at things like P seven, and you go, when do you not have uptime? And there's also no positionals, mm-hmm. right? So it's like they realized that it was something that gives us the pop, but also something that's super annoying at times. So they yeah. they reduce it. But it's just so weird that this was the start of that with True North because they went, oh, yeah, that's annoying. And then they went, oh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't lock your combo behind positionals for most jobs either. So let's do that. And now you get to the point where Monk has like two. Um, yeah. And it's they fun to watch matter. a Monk who's been doing it for a while because they still do the positionals. Yep, they still do it's, it. It's, it's such a weird yep. take because it's like, you know, it's annoying moving into the flank or the rear, or like all these things. You know what's also annoying? Having to hit another button when you're like standing on a different side of the mop. Like it's just it's so <laughs> weird. Like I don't know. You want to talk about saving buttons? Just don't add that and get rid of positionals. That saves buttons. 
But yeah. anyway, that's a whole well, episode. Yeah. <laughs> thinking as well, because we had the questions here at the start of this talking mm-hmm. about, you know, um, Red Mage or you know, yeah. in chat, I even saw a bit of discussion, like, what do we do to make a class, you know, like this more interesting or more valuable mm-hmm. in certain regards or, you know, to make their utility something that's more... Yeah part of active ongoing engagement with the class and that has more longer term Mm -hmm. kind of you know relevancy i have been so inspired recently and we don't have to touch on this for too long but i have been so inspired Mm -hmm. recently by even the pvp changes that they did where we started to see them i think playing with concepts for these classes that Mm -hmm. add something different the like the fact that you can almost ley line into your black magic aspect or your white magic aspect with a red mage as it plays Mm -hmm. now buffs and debuffs that become a part of that i do think around this time in stormblood they made this choice that a lot of these utilities they were after this they implemented Mm -hmm. right a lot of feedback that hit when we came into shadowbringers but the idea of utility becoming narrower and narrower and narrower and we were in this moment in stormblood where i think they could have introduced more things more mechanics more stuff that utility specifically Mm -hmm. would address because it's never just adding one thing to a Mm -hmm. class right it's about how does this then respond to something in the greater scheme of mechanic design combat these sorts of things right so Stormblood Beyond, we started realizing that much of the community, as most MMO communities are, are want to prioritize things like just strict, reliable uptime of damage Mm -hmm. buffs, right? Mm -hmm. But there was this window of opportunity in Stormblood where I think we could have seen certain things um, address this more. I mean, I'm even thinking now about of our endwalker raids with this ongoing tick of bleed damage that are it's yeah. so prevalent mm-hmm. and the fact that they do seem like they have really created and solidified a role for shield healers because there are or you know even some of the utilities that we have with you know uh reprisal right and mm-hmm. things like that because there are literally some hits in the savage versions of these fights that you cannot survive with the current tier of gear unless it is mitigated in mm-hmm. some way So again, you can create opportunities for utilities to have a specific role to play in your game, but it's about expanding that. Unfortunately, through Stormblood, I do think we saw that the era shifted Mm -hmm. to a much more narrowing of utility usage, which then has led us kind of where we are now. So right, it's like a domino effect Mm -hmm. as we go through. Even though we had some shining periods, I think where balance was really tightly knit, um, it is maybe from Stormblood on started to domino a little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and how it would lead us to now, which is interesting. I was actually, yeah. I was actually thinking earlier, uh, things like the DPS actually really having to use faint. You mm-hmm. have to use faint. If you miss faint, a couple of people are going to die. That actually reminds me more of how you had to handle things in Coil, which is yes. something mm-hmm. that I miss like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pay attention to everything that you have. Use your whole kit. Yeah. Utility damage buffs are not utility. They are damage buffs. Utility is things that help you clear it, things that make it easier, things that help cover mistakes, right? Like that's utility. And from Stormblood and uh, into Endwalker and or not in Walker, into um, Shadowbringers, because I'm sorry, like when we talk about Shadowbringers, I'm going to talk about Dancer a little bit, and I, I, I don't talk about Dancer. Um, a whole other episode. Yeah, it's a whole <laughs> other episode. 
But it's like, here's where they started going, all right, yeah, utility. Well, that just means damage. That's all people care about. So we're going to shift it a little bit. And it, it it's not great. I mean, this is when we start getting into really the two minute buff cycles that everyone has to align to, which is great. That makes it easier to design buffs and things. And, you, you know, your raid feels better in that way. But it also is super strict. And if you are a job that doesn't adhere to it, you're screwed. Paladin. When was the last um, time we hmm. had to use an interrupt on anything in Savage? One hmm. million, one million years ago. It's yeah, been a long so. ass time. That is something we should be using. Yeah. Mm, interrupt more. Yeah, I, I think Stormblood yeah, I for me remember. really was my favorite time for Astrologian because... Mm -hmm. Even though, again, high-end gameplay, that fishing for balance, I personally yeah. did find that I used a wide array of things, you know? Um, the utility of, oh no, well, we all, some people died, or MP is out, or, you know, this has been a brutal 24-man, so let's just try and recoup and, and help with MP. We've got this ewer, let's spread it. Um, new tanks, lower gear, minimum eye level, having something like the bowl did help cushion things sometimes. Although, mm -hmm. as you were talking about, about Aldino, there were so many potency adjustments and changes and tweaks yeah. and all kinds of things over the course of Stormblood that I think we saw a lot of those things become more and more and more niche situational, you know. Mm. Um, and I mean, some of that is just inherent to some of the problems that they have faced with, again, how do we make utility work on a larger scale in 14? Mm. Um, but at the very least, I felt like with the ability to enhance the potency of a specific card or spread a card to everyone mm -hmm. or do these little things with the cards, that there was more variety of how I could play that class mm -hmm. in such a way that it felt as though, oh, here's some utility that I'm really enjoying in the game. So in many regards, I actually really loved Stormblood for that. Uh, and I really enjoyed that moment before we turned more drastically. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it, it was an interesting moment. I mean, we can push forward as well. I don't know if there was anything else specifically with balance we wanted to address. There was the direct hit and tenacity. Yeah. Um, just oh, high yeah, yeah. I forgot about tenacity. Yeah, they added tenacity, which um, is a stat that still nobody wants to use. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> it's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that's about that's it. it. I mean, direct hit adds more random, which is not as fun. It was exciting at the time because it wasn't accuracy. That was nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then one of the other things they did with with uh, or I should say didn't do with Stormblood was a new race with Heaven's Word. We had Aura, um, but nothing new with with Stormblood. And I, I think ultimately, like, I think I'm OK with that. Because, you yeah. know, when we on our Heavensward episode, one of the biggest gripes that we had was, oh, we have this new race. Cool. Who are they? Where are they from? We want yeah. to know more about them. We got that with Stormblood. So, like, they were still kind of patching up the the iffiness, like, with the last added race with this mm -hmm. expansion. So I think I was fine that we didn't get anything in this expansion. Um, and we, you know, we got oh. the, the Asm step, which is like, great. Yeah. More lore about these characters that we've had for a couple of years. <laughs> I see why they did give us a race there because it's the first expansion. You want to set yeah, a precedent. Yeah, yeah. You want to give people as much as you can plausibly mm -hmm. for this thing where it's like, all right, this didn't fail. We got to keep making it not fail. So, you know, I, while I do think it would, would have been nice if maybe Aura had come out with this expansion where all of the information about them was, I see why they did it with Heaven's Word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I agree. What's funny is that rather than, okay, as it stands, I don't mind that they didn't include a race in Stormblood. I mean, we got a lot of other things and the world was really vast. And I, the Azim step is one of my absolute favorite parts of all of Stormblood. I thought that zone, it's storytelling, it's action, it's mini story, it's characters, the the way that they gave life and vibrancy both between that um, and then also stuff like, you know, when you dive under the Ruby Sea and you get to actually see some of the, you know, culture on either side of the aura. All of that was so well done. I, I loved it. It's funny because I do actually think that I almost would have preferred that they release aura with Stormblood. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Either we got, again, I don't, like you were saying, I don't think not having a new race for your first expansion, I think that added more punch to, you know, mm -hmm. here we are, we really want this to continue to succeed. But I almost feel like they could have done an entirely different race in Heavensward, be it, I don't know, instead of getting the, um, oh, what are the name of the bird people up in the sky? Vanu Vanu? Mm-hmm. Like, instead of getting the Vanu Vanu, we actually just have some kind of new bird-like pseudo, you know, like the a humanoid with bird traits race or something. And their culture is that they live up there and we just hadn't seen them because of this division between, you know, the land and sky mm. and these lost regions that the, the dragons had been protecting That's, for so long or yeah. something. You know, I think to me that would have made more sense because as it was, it was kind of weird and everybody was going, so the Aura are dragons then? But then mm -hmm. in lore, they were saying, no, they're not <laughs> dragons. And it's like, but it's a dragon expansion. It's, it's one of those tricky things where I think any any MMO, anytime an MMO adds a new race, like, oh, where did they come? Oh, they've, 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 they've been here the whole time. We just haven't seen them. Just, just go with it. Just yeah. go with it. Um, you know, and, and thinking back, technically they did add a new race with Stormblood. Just not a playable race. They added the Lupin with Stormblood. <laughs> yeah. And then Shadowbringers came out and they're like, no, we're doing Hrothgar instead. And you're like, but you have this over here already. They could probably <laughs> wear more hats. Fair. I found a way to at bring least it a back. couple. Um, yeah, so I think I think this was fine. Um, they they were still kind of finishing up Aura, I think, with yeah. with Stormblood in terms of just including them into the world. Um, one of the other things that was big for for Stormblood was fishing, or not spear fishing, but also swimming. Right, we we're like, okay, yeah. with Heaven's Word, we got to fly around. Now we're gonna go and swim. But mm -hmm. it was it was kind of weird because like so many other MMOs that have swimming and and have had swimming since launch, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know whether it be WoW or something like Guild Wars. Sometimes you have your own underwater weapon set. But for Final mm -hmm. Fantasy, they're like, okay, so here's how this is gonna work. Going underwater is kind of like zoning, but kind of not. But also, you can't fight anything. And it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. It was kind of weird. I still to this day don't know if I like it or not because <laughs> like underwater fighting is boring in every game. Maybe except Guild Wars 2. I remember being super jazzed about it at the beginning of Guild Wars 2. It's I don't know hard, how it is Guild now. Wars 2. It's hard right. or it was. I, I loved it. Like I like I remember I was playing like a hunter or, or, or a ranger or something and I was like, oh yeah, I've got a crocodile. Let's go. You know, it actually switched to crocodile and I went <laughs> in the water. Like that's awesome, right? Yeah. But in 14, I don't think that I would have wanted it. <laughs> like I don't think so. It was one of those things. Been the same. It was it was good for exploration. And I mean, you know, I, yeah. I remember, um, you know, the first couple of weeks, people were like, yeah, so I was swimming around in the Ruby Sea and I found like this Easter Island. Like, 
head just like buried underwater. We're mm-hmm. like, what? That's really cool. Like that was like the only thing like that. But like, you know, more of that, please. But it, it was really mm-hmm. cool for like an exploration thing. Um, I think the the Ruby Sea area is probably like the the best utilized underwater type stuff because there's you know things you can swim under and into like yeah. little caves and stuff. But it's yeah, overall it's the locks had like, some cool yeah. stuff in it. The locks did have yeah. some cool stuff, but it's it was one of those inclusions where it felt like they you know after heavens were like well we can fly oh we can't swim yet let's add some water stuff but like. And they they're just like yeah now you can swim and that was it really like it was hmm. cool there was some cool settings stuff that they did with it but it was alright <laughs> I agree I don't think it is as revolutionary as flight yeah. yeah in the sense that flight offers such a massive convenience in movement and obviously then had ripple effects even to the original game where they eventually made it so that you could unlock flight and fly in those zones right. Mm-hmm. And of course, flight as a mechanic always carries with it a double-edged sword. You're dealing essentially with the fact that players will now take the absolute shortest from point A to point B kind of navigation. So games have dealt with this like 14 with ether currents, Um, Guild Wars 2, you have to work through a whole bunch of other stuff and do some special collections because while they have a huge range of mounts that do all kinds of really unique movements, like teleporting or this stuff, right? Or, you know, um, going underwater or skimming over the surface of water or uh, doing horizontal jumps. They have like a really unique movement thing in Guild Wars 2. Even so, those flight mounts, you have to work much more extensively Mm -hmm. to earn. And even they have their own pros and cons, drawbacks, unique mobility, speeds, those sorts of things. Um, When it comes to stuff like, wow, oh my gosh, unlocking flight was one of the most annoying things ever. Mm -hmm. And I was so miserable when I was trying to play that as a new player because they, you know, try to make you, they force you to be grounded until you've spent so much time and money and got, you know, to get to the point where you can unlock the ability to fly. So 14, I think, has a pretty good balance that the ether currents can be annoying, but they're not Mm -hmm. impossible. And flight obviously changes a lot of things. And in Heavensward in particular, I think they did an incredible job of monopolizing the vertical space that yeah. Flight offered. Yeah. And I even think that they can do more of that in mm-hmm. you know, our future expansions because they kind of eased back. But having a world that's not just like this, but that can also have discoverable things, important things, story beats, stuff like that that are at different elevations can be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Conversely, swimming has not had that impact. and I. I think a lot of it is just because really the Ruby Sea is the only map that we have that is predominantly underwater. But even there, almost all of your story beats take place not in the water, but, you know, in the settlements and stuff. But still, having a world that gives you from the deepest ocean to the highest heavens a realm Mm -hmm. to explore and landscapes to explore is I think ultimately really beneficial and really good for fantasy and the fantasy genre. So I'd like to see them use more of underwater because I, one of the things I also remember the most from Stormblood is the first time that you see the, uh, oh, what's the palace underwater called? Is that Sui Nosata? Shisui is the dungeon. Yes, but so Suinosato is the settlement of Aura beneath the waves, but the palace, the the Ruby Palace, the it might yeah. be Shisui then. So, 
Yeah, it might be. I think of the violet tides. She's with the violet yeah. tides. Yeah. Is that what it is? Um, when you have to like go through that ravine and it's dark and you're like going deeper and deeper and I get nervous underwater. I have I have that like underwater deep water fear. So you're like going down and you're getting more and more nervous. And then at the end of this deep ravine, you see this bubble and this unbelievable palace, which is where you unlock um, the, the dungeon, right? Mm -hmm. That is still a really massive fantasy yeah because that's like that's like down there too you gotta it's it yeah. gets dark and yeah i yeah it's but outside of that flying or swimming is basically just worse flying if they remove the water <laughs> it would be easier to get around yeah you would lose nothing in that zone and it sucks because like i i really don't know and that's an assertion i just made maybe Maybe I'm wrong. Do you do you agree that if well, you went to I'll, the Ruby Sea and just remove the water? I'll actually disagree because mm -hmm. um, when you could mount up in the water, you, that's as, as fast as flying, isn't it? Yeah, Jump that's what I mean. Jump in the water, go down. Mm -hmm. That's what fast. I mean. You could just not have water and you would never have to worry about it is what I'm saying. Okay. Like if, if those. I don't know. I really like the water. The, yeah. But I'm like, what did it give us? Um, Scenery. That's it. Yeah. That's Ambience. All. Yeah. I'm, that's fine with me though yeah i know but it's like <laughs> no i agree with you i honestly do agree with you i think they could have given us something more in the water even if it was just more side quests that take you through or things to discover or lore stuff or unique sightseeing or i i agree in that it does feel like i love the underwater scenery and i don't yeah. want to lose it i would Absolutely. just love to fill it out more spear fishing is really fun actually with the changes and things that they've done since Stormblood. Mm -hmm. but it'd be nice to have more things that make this world yeah. alive in that aquatic sense you know just it's imagine like... <laughs> they just put a fake skin of water over corthus right let's let's say that zone because remember when we were talking about heaven's word it was that first zone they were like oh my god it's so vertical imagine if it was half water but they didn't change anything and just made it look different that's what they could have done for the Ruby Sea. It's what I'm saying. Like, it seemed like it took them a lot of work to get that transition into water and whatever unique things there are about swimming versus flying. But it's like, why? What I think was... it's it's obviously like, right. There's the the idea of like, OK, they did Heaven's Word. And then the next one they go down, like maybe yeah. 7.0 will be Fathom's Word. They'll give us all metal boots. <laughs> and then we can fight underwater. I think it's just it's just one of those things. It's it's a world immersion thing. Yeah. Um, it also uh, I, I had this thought a couple of minutes ago. Um, it gives gathers a nice change yeah, of true. scenery. It's like I'm gonna go mine underwater. Cool. Like I'll take you, it. Should, you were just saying like you know you go up and then you go down. Maybe we'll get. The the part where we go full fathoms, and I went. We got that the tempest. And yeah. Oh. Aldino's yeah. thought about what if you just drained it. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I was like, "Oh, was moving they, towards there." But they did, yeah, they did. But yeah, well, we did. Bismarck was just like, "I'm gonna just burp a big air bubble over here it's for still you." Still an underwater zone that seems like an underwater zone, and they didn't have to put swimming in it. That's, That's what I'm saying. I'm like. Uh, which is actually really That's interesting funny. because yeah. to me, it feels like that zone, maybe not in the second half, but in the first mm -hmm. half, it feels like that zone could have been even more dynamic in a sense. If you literally like watched as around you, the Sahagin swam and, mm -hmm. you know, you were 
seeing this life and these like swimming past these real remnants of buildings and then you were able to kind of like go into parts of them to like learn little bits or something about the ruins or the i don't know it, it's they could it have done an easy there. easy fix where you take the msq those that didn't get the cogent blessing in stormblood you just go back to yeah. like, hey can you hook them up and then you go well of course they weren't they were still stuck on the first so maybe well, they also they needed to limit where you party. could go yeah it's true but what metal, I'm saying metal is... Metal shoes. It worked for Link in Ocarina of Time. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Ruby C were like, there could have been more down there. And the Tempest is the bottom of Ruby C done as best as they possibly could have done. Mm-hmm. And it's without swimming because swimming limits them. So that's what I'm saying. Like, they've added yeah. this okay. and it just limits them. And it's cool. It's it's. I don't want it gone. But what I'm saying is, why 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 did it, why was it so difficult? Why did they go through with it? And then why did they never use it again? Probably because it's annoying, right? Like, I don't know. I like it's just weird to me. Like what we get it a little bit in Endwalker because you have to swim for like a split second twice, maybe. I don't know. I, I definitely yeah. see your point here. Um, I agree that it does feel like it could be fleshed out. I I don't mind it. I like that it's in the one zone, uh, super prevalent in the one zone. It's not really anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yes, we swim around a little bit in the locks, but it's like directly to this <laughs> yeah. place. I like that swimming's in the game, though, because then yeah. we have like our neighborhoods where there's pools yeah. in the middle and you go out chill with your friend or whatever. I think that mm-hmm. it should at least be there for that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking of, you know, load balancing and dev team time and things sure. like that, which you can't speak in. You can't speak to because we're not on that team, but it's like, oh, I would have liked more to come out of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it adds a beautiful dimension to our world that I definitely miss in worlds that don't have it. It's very strange in any world when you are like, you run to the edge of the water, you're in an open world or something, and then there's just an invisible wall or you die (laughs) the moment you set foot in the water. And it's like, okay, you're telling me I can fell literal gods, but my boots can't get damp. Mm -hmm. Can't swim, can't do It definitely creates an immersion discrepancy, but I agree with both sides. I am glad that we got it. And I do think the Ruby Sea is a beautiful zone, but I also think that there is much more utilization that they can do of this within a fantasy setting. And, you know, it would be wonderful to see some of that. And we've had maybe some little tidbits or mentions about, you know, things lost under the waves or hidden Mm -hmm. cities or stuff. So I think it would be fantastic to get to explore that more in a dynamic way or really use it as part of building suspense. Oh, you're just mad because they didn't do Blitzball. (laughs) Remember Blitzball? That was a thing. They were were talking that up for a while and then it, no. Well, that is kind of a use for underwater mechanics, though. You know what I mean? Maybe Blitzball is a Maricidian thing. Yeah, maybe. Could be. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. I'm just imagining yeah. a bunch um, of dragons playing Blitzball now. Cute. Yeah. Mm, so if we scoot on from Underwater, which is one of the features, uh, Stormblood also brought us a cast of villains. Oh, here we go. Some of whom mm-hmm. would, would resonate and or be relevant for years to come. And I'm mm-hmm. curious for all of you, who is your favorite Stormblood antagonist or villain? People are going to be so confused right now. Uh, Xenos. <laughs> Xenos was a great villain because all throughout the 6.0 MSQ, he beat us. He was the <laughs> only person that defeated us. And he did it 
multiple times. Now, it's a little weird that at the end of everything, he merged with a big dragon, became even more powerful, and then we were able to defeat him to the point where he decided to kill himself. That's a little weird. But up until until that point, he was the best villain we had. And then the 6.x patch series happened, and it was just awful. (laughs) We did bring seven friends, though. It's true. I mean, we bring seven friends, he merges into a dragon. We keep it equal, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know, yeah. I think I think throughout MSQ, I think Xenos is a great villain. And then they did the weird thing where they brought him back, but kind of didn't bring him back. And it just dragged on forever. <laughs> and he just he felt like he was robbed of all his personality in the process. because uh, they just they they drug it out for so long. And that's that's why ultimately at the end of the day, I hate Xenos. But in 6.0, I thought he was great. There's I do so recall. many, so many good characters. And yeah, I actually, it's tough. I it, I have favorites mm. based off of different things, in a sense, because in the patch stuff, Yotsuyu would become one of my favorites. I was going to say, in, in terms of like characters you would want to step on you, I think Yotsuyu's over here. Uh, <laughs> but I also love her story. She's so wonderful in so many ways i mean we've seen recently uh okay so if you are oh yeah i did keep saying 6.0 i'm sorry i meant i meant uh (laughs) 4.0 base base stormblood xenos was great after that he's trash yes so uh like for sorry yotsuyu as a character is fantastic in so many ways right because um she even harkens back to if you if you're a fan of anime and you have watched the most recent arc of demon slayer I won't lie. I love Demon Slayer, and the first season is one of my favorite anime mm-hmm. of all time. But as somebody who actually has a pretty big passion for history, and I research weird little niche bits of it, oftentimes because of um, role-playing, I won't lie. And I may or may <laughs> not have a character myself that is uh, Hingashi-based, who is uh, an equivalent to an Oiran which is a really fascinating and interesting and terrible part of Japanese history. And Yotsuyu herself is a character that was from that kind of time period and era. The Oiran were essentially like very, 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 very high class prostitutes within Japan um, during the time that crossed over into like the flower, uh, flower and willow world, this um, rise of geisha in response to things like Oiran, but also taking young women um, who oftentimes were a financial burden on their families and selling them into these pleasure houses where they would just sit. Like, if you weren't an Oiran, if you hadn't, you know, been given a ton of training and, um, you know, you weren't beautiful enough to be invested in in that way, uh, you were just kind of, you literally sat in, like, open galleries where people would just pick whoever and you'd be behind bars and they'd pick you. And, you know, many women died to disease, to... Um, you know, unexpected pregnancy to all of these different things. So there was a really dark side to it while there was also some really incredible cultural stuff that came out of it and some incredibly powerful women like Oiran were fantastic. They were oftentimes referred to as castle topplers because they had the power to change the minds of, you know, even those who were of the highest rank. Um, they were considered the epitome of women in many ways. Um, so there's like this really amazing, rich history. And Yotsuyu is a character that does that. Mm-hmm. She herself was, you know, um, a woman 
who was sold into this kind of cycle, who then rose up through the ranks, who was highly valued, and then took power for herself even further when this regime came in. And I love those complexities of her character. So she's one of my favorites. Um, but likewise, I actually think Xenos is phenomenal in this expansion because he is a, you know, removed... Uh, I don't know. He is the product of his empire. And this is a whole expansion dealing with the Garlean invasion and their imperialism and his indifference to this while all these other people are vying for all these other things is so phenomenal because it creates such a great foil against other villains like Fordola who betrays her own people just to survive, uh, like Yotsuyu, who clings to whatever power she can get and then hoards it to almost get vengeance against the horrors her own people inflicted her to. Uh, it's so good! It's like, yeah. it's all so good! And Xenos's instance where he invades um, the... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rolger's Reach? Yeah. yeah. He almost kills he... Yastola. Yeah. yeah. Like, damn. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Like, that's one of my favorite villain duty instances. It feels so, like, terrifying. You realize in that moment that they've had the power to crush this little tiny rebellion the whole time. Of course they did. Yeah. It's just that they've been letting you reveal yourselves. And, like, I loved that part. It's so good. And you and so. you lose. That's I think that's the most important part. You lose. You do not defeat him. Like, yes, you play. You fight him in an instance to... You know, to get from point A to point B, where you get his health bar down. But ultimately, like he defeats you in combat. Like you have people down. Like that's what I loved so much about Xenos. It's not that like, oh, here's the bad guy, we beat him, yay! It's this constant MSQ, this this constant story of getting beat down time and time again. Uh, oh. That I I thought made Xenos. Mm -hmm. I'm villain. I'm just gonna say, okay, mm -hmm. so maybe that was like a little taste of it, but we really saw that in Endwalker. Let's be honest. Sure. Oh. Um, so I think fave is an interesting word here because are we talking like our favorite ones to hate or our favorite ones? <laughs> um, mm. If we're talking, okay, so first I'm going to say about Xenos, I never liked him ever. Even mm. in the beginning, even when he was kind of okay, I always thought he was creepy and gross and I didn't want anything to do with him. Turns out he was always creepy and gross and we never wanted anything to do with him. My favorite Stormblood villain to hate is Asahi. Mm. Fuck that guy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so terrible. And and that's partially because my actual favorite Stormblood villain is Yosuyu. I mm. I love the whole like everything that, that Rook said about the history of where where she probably came from and and the shit that she was put through by her family, including Asahi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For her to turn around and obviously be very twisted by it, but to grasp the power to be able to do something about it always thought that was a really a great storyline hers is a very twisted terrible storyline that's very very interesting so she's my favorite and my least favorite villain or most favorite villain to hate is asahi he's he's crazy he's more crazy than you know so i'm just going to say that i think he's mm -hmm. more crazy than he's he's the fanboy to the nutter right yeah he is oh, absolutely yeah He's, He's the nutter crazy. butter. Xenos has always had agency. some air of like not caring, right? Whereas yeah. Asahi is just like obsessive. He's like Ugh. if if like Heath Ledger's Joker was like yeah. thrown into the middle of like a war that's, in Hengashi. That's the <laughs> thing about Xenos in Stormblood, especially because we can go back and look at it now with new 
ideas, right? But Asahi and Zenos are very similar. Zenos has power, Asahi doesn't. Yeah. Asahi does everything he does to get the power to, quite frankly, dick to people who are dicking him, right? <laughs> and go crazy and do it. Zenos already has the power and has nothing he wants to do with it. Nothing. Yeah. It's like, I... What do, what do you get the I man who has everything? <laughs> I have nothing else to do. Let's just fight about it, I guess. Right? And they are such the same... Like, these three characters, Asahi, Zenos, and Yotsuyu, came from similar-ish backgrounds turning into a monster. Not in the same way. Asahi and Yotsuyu had almost nothing. Zenos had everything, except for anyone who cared. At all, in any way, shape, Emotional support of any kind. Yes. His dad he never hugged him. He was an experiment the entire time. Well, they kind of and no all were lacking that. Yeah, exactly. I saw, I saw he had it somewhat because he mm-hmm. had the support of his family. Yeah. He also, you didn't have shit. No. Yeah. No. And, and then you know. she gets it because she gets it later. And you see the difference that love made in her life yeah. where the slate wiped clean, but she realizes that, like, her actual crimes can never truly be forgiven. And in... I Oh, it was so tough because I was both so angry when she dies and also uh-huh. so... It's so good, though. You know right. what I mean? Because you can't just wipe the slate clean, not when she has inflicted so just much let her and misery on enjoy others. her dongo exactly. and... They, they fucked her, too. They... Oh. I've, I've said it yeah. way too many times, but um, she, they're like, all right, well, so you're doing pretty good over there and looks like they might forgive you, except you want to turn into a primal and have them kill you instead. Yeah, you want to do that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? That part, <laughs> yep. that part was a little, little, I don't know if that made entirely sense, but you know, well, she, as I've said several yeah. times, she's, she's a little twisted. So you to know, me, in the end, she kind of threw back. To me, it made perfect sense because she yeah. finally remembered everything she did and yeah. went, I can't live. I literally, I, I got to do something else. I should, I don't deserve to live. So I'm going to take out people. I feel like that would have been her path, though. I mean, I, I, I think it, it depends. There's such, the great symbolism is love the item. Yes. The, the item she looks into as well that gives mm-hmm. her this power is a mirror. Yes. I think yeah. it's really telling. Yeah. yeah. Because it's the idea of, I mean, she found a sense of innocence that she was never given in her actual lifetime. But at the same time, I think she realizes that those walls that she built in that viciousness and that like kill or be killed world that do whatever you have to do to survive um and make the other people who belittled you who used you who i mean literally mentally and physically used her who mm-hmm. like all these things make them never be able to do that to you again and then realizing i think herself facing that mirror of what it means to be somebody that was subject like subjugated to that that she herself perpetuated the system that had harmed her right like and there's this idea that like yes if somebody had given her love and she got it for this brief moment but how do you live knowing i guess what you've done to harm others when you've okay so i don't know it's so great refresh my memory because Mm -hmm. maybe it's just me remembering incorrectly she was in castroom Fulminous. Um, mm-hmm. Was she there to attack them, or did she just happen to be there when she was given the mirror? Like, who was she going to attack? She was captured, wasn't she? Yeah, she was she captured. captured Asahi, her yeah. there. They basically yeah. like they basically forced it on her. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. but like, who was she going to use this power on? Is is what I need to know. Nobody. Anybody. Then, Nobody yeah. and anybody. I would guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she wasn't she wasn't focused on anything. No. I feel I like. Think- 
I feel like if she'd have known that she wasn't going to be focused when she got the power, maybe she wouldn't have taken it because I could, I definitely could see her wanting to still take revenge. That was mm -hmm. so part of her core character. But when that is taken away, why would you take the power? To kill them. That's always how I read it. That like, it, it wasn't just necessarily like Asahi is, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't oftentimes get a little bit spicy here, but I'm going to get a little spicy. Asahi's a okay. little shit lord. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely he's true. A, he's a little piss baby shit lord. Like, let's be real. Everyone here today, we can agree on this, mm. I think. It's terrible. And, <laughs> and, and. So she definitely wanted to use the power to kill Asahi. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yes, that's my guess. I think, honestly, I think there is ambiguity in this. I think sure. you can read this as her believing that there is some semblance of power that she could claim that would put, literally put her on par with godhood, that she has nothing else to lose, that she can't live with what she's done, but she also doesn't want to die because she's always fought for this. Mm -hmm. And so if she, if she can claim a power that nobody else can, it will truly finally at long last free her from these bonds, whether it's, you know, to please the Garlean Empire, to, to please anybody. Mm -hmm. Or I think you could also read it as her wanting that final vengeance, you know, where she's going, if I use this power, I can kill that little piss baby shit. Yeah, <laughs> right. But that's, Which the she thing really gets do. to me, like the mm -hmm. hang up for me is she's taking the power from, he is offering her this. This is clearly a trick. Do not trust this motherfucker. <laughs> I remember that sure, her brain was still broken then she realized, then she used the mirror in quick succession, right? I suppose. Like, it all, it all happened that, pretty quick. Yeah, from what she, I can remember. she had yeah. no idea. Then she remembered how bad she was, and the mirror was there right then in that moment. And in that moment, like, what, you're captured already. Like, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go back to the bad times, which I won't go into? You know how bad her times were. She's stuck in a castrum with Asahi, yeah, it makes sense. Grab the power. Get out at least. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I I guess. Because it's I just, her her fight is one of the like yeah. best narrative fights yeah. in the it's whole great. game. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And the voice lines and everything in darkness blooms the spider lily. Like it's yeah. so good. Because all of that is a reflection of her story, right? And it's amazing that you know, later we see in Endwalker this idea of being the light in the darkness and the mm -hmm. themes that Vinat talks about and all these things. And some will in darkness find great hope and strength and others in darkness will find misery and despair and death. And um, she, you know, obviously is somebody who succumbed to that, but found mm -hmm. her own way forward in a sense. And even eventually finds a reconciliation before she dies, which I think is lovely. She's such a great character. I think I changed my vote. Yotsu really is the absolute <laughs> best villain of all of, of all Stormblood. She's so good. There's so much to read into with her. It's just ten out of ten. And it and I'm going to say a thing that you're not gonna like though. She had she was there, she was murdered, she came back, right? She could have done anything else she wanted to do. And then she got kind of roped into revenge. Xenos was here. He got murdered. He came back. And his he completely shifted what he wanted at that point. Right? It's it's like, it's not the same. Yotsuyu's story is much more 
impactful. Yes, well, she, she did. Because once he figured out what the world was, he's like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do then. It, it truly it all doesn't same. matter. She was, she was more so was animated, though. Yes. Like, yeah. Xenos was cardboard. Like even even so should in, we talk about Fordola even in even in four point yeah. right he's like I'm gonna fight people and I don't care about the crown and whatever like he's pretty static and boring like again though like it's cool because he beats us and I like that we finally find <laughs> an, an adversary that we can't beat initially that's what I love about Xenos but he was still pretty boring meanwhile with with Yutsu she's very characterized she's like stepping on people she has this crazy arc where she's just like i'm gonna just love dongo for a bit and it's like two different types of yeah you know, it's the same story it's two instability different. yes exactly yeah cuz xenos had a lot of animation at the beginning as well you know it's funny so. we we often talk about in Stormland about the uh, duality of Yotsuyu and Fordola. Mm-hmm. There is a, definitely a mm-hmm. duality there with Xenos and Yotsuyu as well. Yeah. Oh, sure. yes. I mean, honestly, I, for all that I have ranted and railed about Xenos, right? Most of it is just because I think all the stuff is there. Stormblood, I thought, was a phenomenal introduction mm-hmm. for him as a villain. I thought his arc, what he represented with the Garl- like Garlean Empire, I think a lot of things, I thought his juicy butt in Stormblood was really good. Mm-hmm. I I liked all of that, um, his collection of golf caddy of weapons that he had. I think there's a lot <laughs> of interesting stuff there, these imageries and, you know, parallels, him amassing power, him, you know, clinging to this only thing that he knows, him living and having been the product of this brutal empire. I think all of these things are actually really fantastic, and especially given the context of his short stories, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is, for Dola and Yotsuyu, both got a reflection arc where mm-hmm. we literally saw them grappling with this, whether or not they were truly redeemed in the end, which is, I think, a great, I love gray area. It's so good, right? But we saw the return to, the loss of innocence return to innocence with Yotsuyu. We saw the um, uh, burden of past regrets with mm-hmm. Fordola and, you know, what led her to do what she does. And uh, what eventually breaks down her walls and some great stuff with her in the role quest as well yeah. in Endwalker. Mm-hmm. But we never really got that with Xenos. And that's not to say, that's not to say that every character that is a villain has to have some kind of, and now you sympathize with me and look back. <laughs> not I, every character yeah. has to, but yeah. in the case of Xenos, when we look at how purposefully these other villainous figures were used in Stormblood, it's right there, and they even have it in the supplemental stories that he himself was a victim of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And like whether or not you ultimately forgive him, I think is up to you. Sure. But oh my gosh, I wish, especially when we finally went to Garlemald, if they were going to keep him around for so long, I genuinely wish he had had that moment of narrative gravitas and reflection mm-hmm. in the setting of his homeland or wherever. Because closest, we just didn't get as much as we could I, have. I I think. Think. The closest we got was a teenager yelled at him, and he was like, "Oh, wait a minute! That's, yeah. it. That's all we got." My, my, and he didn't even really go. Wait a minute. My favorite meme out of Endwalker is that scene where Alistair is like, "Hey, Xenos, look at me, bitch!" That's it. <laughs> and that's like yeah. that's it. that's it. I think part of though part of what helped Xenos is coming out of Heaven's Word, right? It's it's. 
we do a thing in in Final Fantasy where we have villains and then we forget about them for a while and go back to other villains and then forget about them for a while and then go back to the other like right we have like 1.0 which was Garlean's bad oh hey Asians and then we get into 2.0 where it's like Garlean still bad Asians also very bad and then Heaven's Word it's like oh dragons have also been bad this whole time also oh remember Asians. no wait it was us. But then you get back into Stormblood, and you're like, hey, remember, Garlean's still bad. Here's here's the character that represents all of that, that we're kind of bringing this back up to. I mean, since, like, after after the end of Stormblood, Garlemald hasn't felt like a huge threat. Like, you have that, that big kind of, like, culminating thing at Alamigo, right? Where you have, like, this big battle. And, like, that's really cool. But then afterwards, Xenos turns into a dragon. He kills himself. We defeat him. And then it's like, oh, Emmett Selk was Solus the whole time. And, like, maybe there's a little bit of, like, Garlean bad that transfers over to Emmett Selk just a smidge into Shadowbringers. But I after like that point... Opposite. After that point, like, I didn't care Garlean's about Garlemald. But it was Asians the whole time. Yeah, and and so I think part of that it removes a little bit of that background of caring for for Xenos, where it's like, okay, he already didn't want to have anything to really do with Garlemald. Like he didn't care about the crown or, or or that power, and it's like now you basically take that entire empire away that he already wasn't really caring about, and you have even less of a character. <laughs> Yeah, I needed yeah. I needed a couple of those like tension parallel scenes, you know, yeah. like he defeats us a whole bunch in Stormblood and then he eventually acknowledges us as an equal or even having surpassed him. But then I need like for me to like really latch on to this villain and to like really personally feel that parallel. I need those scenes where we, you know, we're like we're constantly clashing and meeting each other as pseudo equals. And then he's saying something about like, you know, what's the difference between us? We were both made to be weapons and we get more about his backstory or whatever, you know, like, and yeah. he's like, look at yourself, look at how they use you. Only we understand each other. I need that scene. And then I am sold. I am sold. <laughs> Sign me up. Yes. The problem is <laughs> that he's a reaper and a samurai, not a dark knight. <laughs> the problem for me is. That's I, a dark knight quest right there. Yeah. I didn't need him to say it. That's because he would never say it. He doesn't want anyone else's approval. Either you figure it out or not. It doesn't really matter to him. And I like that. You know what okay. I do need us to say? What's that? What our favorite zone is. Ooh. Is there even really a question on this? So I, mean, I feel like it's well, so here's, obvious here's, to me. Here's, here's the thing. I think, yeah. in in a sense, I don't know if Kugane counts, right? Because it's a... Are we... Cause like it's it's you it's a hub. It. It's, a, it's a city. It. It's a city zone. Like you you're always gonna it. love the new city zone in an expansion, right? What's? I mean, okay. Well, all right. This. I mean, this is gonna be easy then. Rook's favorite zone. She already said was was Kugane. Well, <laughs> she about how much, right? I wouldn't. Okay, I'm a little different in that I wouldn't count it as a zone. I would count it as a city. Personally, See, yeah, you can say yeah, it. That's kind of where it. I'm thinking. Yeah. But my favorite zone is the Azim Step, hands okay. down. I think I, I like Azim Step. It was, it was interesting because it was the, the you know they always advertise it's like the first open field zone of its kind, uh, and I'm thinking like we had Corthus in 1.0. That was kind of, I miss 1.0 Corthus. I wanted them to bring no. that back. Give us a whole expansion that's just 1.0 Corthus. Um, 
I think for me it was Ruby C, and I think right after we had that that whole thing about swimming, I did like some of that stuff. You know, going down to Suinosato for the first time, like that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I'll I'll go into least favorite, but let's let's get everybody else done here with with the the, the positive one. Yeah, I mean it's either Asm Step or it's um, what is? And I've already forgotten the name, even though we go there so often. You loved it where so Denver much. Castle is. Is it the Yangsha? Yangsha. Yangsha. I always call it the Ginshui chain or something like that because it's part of it. But yeah, Yangsha I really mm-hmm. enjoyed because it was another like, look what we can do. Asm Step was super huge, but also Yangsha was ginormous. And there were so many different biomes and like then there's the castle and Yangsha the, the was, big was event at the castle. Cool with with both the the castle, but then also that kind yeah. of like wall thing that it mm-hmm. had. Like it was it was that kind of like, hey, remember this is a fantasy game. Like, what's yeah. that? Like Yangsha, I always thought yeah. that that was a cool aesthetic. Yangsha is yeah. my favorite. There were, there are so many just beautiful architectural and natural things there. The Prism Springs are cool. That one, like it's like a tiny grove. On top of a mountain full of like plum blossom trees, it's yes! beautiful. Yeah. Um, so but then also amongst all of that beauty, you see it's a war zone. I think more than any other zone, you see ah, this is a wartime story in Yangsha. Yeah, so definitely. I, I really okay. that was my favorite zone. Now, I would now, agree with that. On on three least favorite zone. Wait, hold on, hold on. I'll, I want to really talk about yeah, the. Start thinking about. No, it. I want to just say something really fast about the Azim step because. Hmm. Um, the things I really loved about the Azim Step were one that I cannot think of another game where we have seen a like fantasy-inspired zone based off of uh, Mongolia, and I just sure. absolutely loved yeah. that. I thought it was gorgeous. It led me to research and learn a lot of things about Mongolian culture that I never knew before. Um, I really, really enjoyed the way that they did their own kind of fantasy thing with it. I think the skybox in that zone at night with the stars over it, it is mm. so stunning mm-hmm. flying over it. And one of the m- memories that I have the most distinctly of playing through Stormblood for the very first time was in that zone. When you first come into the little village and you learn this amazing thing about like, you know, the culture and the people that are there and the unique tribe that kind of runs this neutral ground and trading post. And then you're tasked to go meet this figure, this enigmatic figure that's going to help you. And you go up and around the side of that hill yeah. and they perfectly timed it so that the music that's down in the village shifts so that as you come up around the hill, you like cross over the threshold and you see Hien outlined, at least for me, it was like the time of day when the sun was rising. So like the sky was orange and you see Hien's silhouette and then you hear da, 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 da. And I like almost <laughs> teared up. It was so like one of the most cinematic moments I've had in this game that was not strictly a cutscene. And I just thought it was so gorgeously done. And the whole thing with like, you know, even learning about their culture through the dungeon that's in that zone, getting Mm -hmm. the Yol mount, having that significant bird, like becoming a friend, one of the tribes, uh, competing in um, the, 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 the Dom? The Dom, I think. The Dom, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought all of that was a phenomenal way to tell a story not only of a zone, not only of the main story quest, but of a people, of a culture, of a region. And I just like, it's still to me, like is one of my favorite zones that I think I've played in the game. I like the weird uh, cave, for cave of the coin, coin of something. 
Oh, House yeah. of Coin? Is that oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And then they come That's- back to it later. Like when we first see it, they're like, this is something related to our religion. Probably don't know. What could mm-hmm. it be? And I love mysteries, just like that's, big, that's obvious mysteries cool... they put there. And they're like, yeah. you're going to see this later. Don't worry. That's one of those mm-hmm. cool things where as you're exploring, you just find it. You're like, what is that? And then you yes. come back. You're like, yes, finally. Tell me what this is. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But that I've is a wondering. very beautiful zone. Yeah. Okay. So are we doing the thing? Okay. Everybody so at the same uh, time. You want to do everybody think at the same time? Yeah. Think. I'm curious if we all have the same one in our head. Yeah. Okay. Think. Give. Get, think about it. Least favorite zone. Sure. Okay. We're we're good. All right. One. Here we go. Two. Three. The locks. The peaks. locks. Me, the locks. I'll let me go. Yeah. Really, I love the locks. <laughs> I, it's the peaks for me. <laughs> okay. Really. Yeah. Okay. The locks. The locks has some really neat. I almost said cute. Neat. Interesting details like hidden. Yeah. That's true. I wish yeah. that they had made it matter. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I just feel like of the two, yeah. the, peaks, the peaks is... Although There's there are stuff. some very cool, um, like, Alamegan ritual sites in the peaks, yeah. too. Yeah, ritual there sites. Are. There's and the, you have um, the Ananta, and there's the whole bridge, and the reconstruction. And the Ark. And the Ark. I love the Ark, the yes. Arc. Yep. That ties into... It's it's part of Charlian cool. yeah. history. Yeah. Is the... The... Oh shit, what's it called? The upside down uh, hourglass pyramid, which which zone is that's that? Peaks. Fringes that's or peaks? Peaks. I think it's yeah. see the yes. thing about the fringes and the peaks is I can't tell them apart. I get them mixed up all the time. <laughs> that's also true. Yeah. That's also yeah. true. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I do actually. I think you bring up a great point. Those two zones to me yeah. feel like iterations of the exact same thought. If yeah. that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, I think we honestly could have had a very drastically different zone and it probably would have been more distinctive, more memorable. One of my few problems with Stormblood in particular was that 14 has a phenomenal idea of creating fantasy worlds. And we've seen more and more, I think some of it is the limitations of graphics and other things, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I I just disliked the most about all three, the locks, the peaks, the fringes, is the fact that they were like, okay, it's like a desert. So they yeah. just went like brown it's and brown. we'll just make all of it brown. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be some parts of it that have some like really cool, really beautiful, really interesting little places. Cause there are, and they're gorgeous, mm-hmm. but like all of it is going to kind of blend together. Cause it's just going to yep. be like brown yeah. sand and like brown rock and the exact same sand color and the exact same and i'm like deserts they you can do so much well and then and that. then they gave us the locks which was like a slightly lighter brown with some salt <laughs> yeah i i found the locks personally be the most disappointing oh you know mm. the anata are actually in the fringes oh, oh. well yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah they're across the river like we uh, said it's hard to tell them apart i yeah <laughs> I even found okay. The peaks is the one that has the the is it the M tribe? One of the no, cats. That's, that's, that's fringes. That's fringes. Oh, the, I, um, I found their encampment to be really underwhelming as well. Mm-hmm. The ziggurat, which is the ziggurat. thing I was talking about, that is actually in the peaks. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I pulled up the maps on uh, gamerscape.com. <laughs> yeah, I think I found the locks to be the most. Um, underwhelming to me because it felt like because they didn't want to mire it too specifically to one time that they just didn't do anything with it and so like although there are the kind of ominous red glowing lights i got no sense that this was like an actively occupied zone that had a an oppressive military force 
I got no set. I I don't know. To me, I'll if say like a map that could have used two states. Who's in charge of that? I mean, yeah. Zenos, who does yeah. not give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but still, like, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like, Xenos is in charge of a lot of things, sure, but there's also like so many other levels of governance within Garlemald and like rank and status and hierarchy that like and other native people that live there that we know are being actively oppressed like if there was no active oppression happening why would the Garleans even still be or why would the Alamegans even still be there you know like yeah. why wouldn't they just I, overthrow there's and so leave, many there's like, so many cool things in the locks though there's a bunch of like cave systems there are some there's that cool- one that's like there's that one that's like uh there's like a, ghosts and monsters. There's a, there's there's a, a cave yeah, there's thing. there's a straight up crypt and a and a yeah, graveyard yeah. in the locks. I there's like that cave full of crystals. I really I really really like the the lakes where you can swim down and the you can underwater see all those ruins. Yeah, underwater. the underwater yeah. ruins and the, in the locks the bridge, are the best. Like bridge stairs up to the castle itself. Those are gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, all of that it, I do really like. The locks I feel like work great as a area for them to do cutscenes in. But like after when you get to it, I think a lot of you know it's as you're going through the story, you're like, all right, and here we are, we're at the locks, and there's Alamigo, and it's like this is this is it, and it's like this is the most boring final zone that fourteen <laughs> has ever had. <laughs> it's like okay, thinking... it's just there, and it still looks like the peaks and the fringes before it. It doesn't really stand out, and then like the, the we have like the Alamigan quarter. Which is, it's like, it's kind of outside, but there's not really a lot going on. And it's also just looks like more sand, but in more square shapes. Um, the idea of, like, coming in, like, from that 1.0 perspective, right? It's like, oh, we're going, like, heaven's word. Cool, we're going to Ishgard. Stormblood, we're going to finally see Alamigo. It's a dungeon. You know what <laughs> I was It was the, the other biggest we letdown about, of Stormblood uh, was that whole Troya. end thing. When mm-hmm. we could we can go back through Troya and all yeah, that yeah. like sliver of of the uh, void, that is what they should have done for Alamigo. Troya has that infinitely is, more yeah. personality than the locks and Alamigo's dungeon yes. combined. Well, that's that's <laughs> what they should have done. Like maybe we never get to go back yeah. there, but you get to go back and you get to literally get to go literally there at all, hang around, look at the more. details. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was yeah. such a letdown, especially after coming off of Heaven's Word, where we had Az's Law as like the final yeah. area. And then it's just like, yeah, here's like this kind of deserty place. There's like a castle, but you don't go into it. It's actually the town, but it's just like a dungeon. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'm not a fan <laughs> of Alamigo. I I hope at some point, maybe someday, we do get uh, like mm-hmm. you know restoration of Alamigo, and they slap some nice colorful tiles on the walls, yeah. and they give it its own distinctive looking thing. I, and yeah. you know, it seems like they used to have curated gardens and stuff mm-hmm. like that. If you look at some of the like water bastions and like what appears to be like open you know planting areas and yeah i would love to see some of that like this verdant almost oasis this something that just makes it visually distinctive from like I th- Ula yeah and from, I, th- you know, I think something. ultimately what what hurt alamigo was kugane the idea to have that expansion kind of split right with the settings mm-hmm. because we had Ralgar we had Ralgar's reach was a little it's like the little alamegan hub but then we had Kugane, so there was no way we were ever going to get an entirely other, like, different city. It, yeah, just, it wasn't going to happen. Um, which, I, like, I get it from like a like that you know part of it, but it's like it, I mean, kind of a bummer. There is a way in which it could have happened. 
if they decided to do something that 14 has not yet done yet. And many other MMOs haven't, but we have a few MMOs that have, Guild Wars 2 most notoriously recently, um, with uh, them having an entire map zone that was a city. And mm -hmm. like, in the actual city, there are all these different points of interest and people in different like states on the map because they have these big meta events, right? Where like mm -hmm. there's a big rising action kind of thing that you participate in or, you know, different fates that would, you know, bulk this out or even pop up or tell the story of various things or Garlean skirmishes or whatever was happening in the city. I think they could have done it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like they kind of went half and half. They went half seas mm -hmm. on it. And because of maybe some of the lack of focus overall with, again, the, you know, telling the story of just one part of the world, I think we saw, for me, it felt like it, sh it stood out the most in Alamigo, yeah. um, which was kind of unfortunate. But, I mean, there were a lot of other real highlights to the zone designs in Stormblood mm -hmm. overall, but mm -hmm. that one in particular, yeah, did not feel like a final zone to me. Yeah. A small thought, perhaps not, not a real actual thing that happened. But uh, in listening to you say you wish that there were more like colorful tiles and the gardens were filled out and stuff, maybe they thought of the lack of beautification or whatever uh, as a dilapidation of the city, things that weren't taken care of, more signs that they had been occupied. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they also, but it didn't come. It didn't really come across that way. I mean, yeah. I still I think we remember... should move on to the next. Yeah, one last yeah. bit. I mean, I, I do remember, you know, FanFest was like, yeah, we're going to Alamigo. And it's cool because you're going to see, like, Alamigan architecture mis mixed with, like, Garlean architecture. And it's like, there were a couple, like, security gates in the dungeon. Like, there, it wasn't what we were expecting. And it was kind of a, you know, from this, this MMO yeah. that had done so many great things. I, I think for me, it was the first time I felt, like, really kind of like, oh, mm -hmm. that's all right. The bar has been lowered. This is also maybe one very small detail, but I, I think it's a big detail for people, for certain people in the community. I recently saw something even talking about Lisa's garments and mm. um, how they're supposed to be like traditional Alamican garments, right? And then uh, talking as well about some of the real life cultures and garments that those draw upon. Um, and how I think in particular across the world, this is not specific to Japan, but particularly in JRPGs, there is a real sense of, um, particularly with these kind of like dancer classes or stuff like that, this like harem look or this exoticization of certain mm -hmm. types of traditional garments. And I saw a really interesting thread about this recently especially in regards to Alamigo, where they were comparing like traditional garments where you can see like bits and pieces of how they look, but like the overall coverage of skin is much more complete in many of these more traditional garments, um, as opposed to like the belly shirts and everything like that. And my own thought on this is that like, there is a line and place and time where like fantasy will transcend and start its own tropes and different things will happen and different visuals. And I, I think you can push that in many regards. But I will say one thing, after having seen how well they can do, like Thavnir, which draws so heavily upon a mix of different inspirations, but largely India, right, and various regions mm -hmm. of India, um, I do think that All Amigo felt like one spot as well in the game where they're oftentimes very thorough and very like fantastic research and diversity of culture. I mean, this mm -hmm. is also the expansion where we got the Azim Step and this beautiful, like this great, interesting fantasy interpretation of, you know, um, Mongolia. And 
all amigo feels very weirdly ambiguous yeah. <laughs> in many ways it's true. Mm -hmm. in a way that like i think is not a full credit to the team and what they are usually capable of when it comes to like really finally crafting a distinctive architecture culture style it doesn't have to be a perfect mirror of anything in our real world but when i look at some of the things that like you know could be used as mm -hmm. inspiration sources for alamigo um and then i look at kind of some of the just sort of more generic ambiguous stuff that maybe we have gotten i'm like i think you could have honed in more here yeah you could have done a little I, more I, on this. i think yeah they they had the split i think they felt right and i, I mentioned this a little bit earlier they probably had alamigo because they felt like they had to narratively from what players had been exposed to previously and I think, you know, resource-wise, they're like, well, we're going to do the Far East. And, like, Kugane is a beautiful hub. And I, I think just, you know, looking at the resources and stuff, at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll put more of it into the Far East than we will into, you know, fringes and peaks and mm -hmm. and, and locks. And it, I, I think it shows, which is kind of a bummer. But anyway, I yeah. mean, we could, we could, we've talked about that before. We could talk about it more. Yes. Um, Let's continue on. One of the other things that they did with stormblood uh this is when they started to introduce guest creators so we had uh yasumi matsuno came and they're like we're gonna make an evil east raid series mm -hmm. and it's like sweet um and you know we, we joked earlier about hard raids uh yeah, yeah evil east oh, that's goodness. that's those are the ones um <sighs> definitely the, the more challenging group content that we had seen in the game um are you okay i'm not okay <laughs> but then we also I just yeah, yeah Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, this is where and I mean, I think it was kind of a little bit with Void Arc and, and the like. I mean, I remember people complaining about Diabolos, right? That fight, mm -hmm. people having trouble on that. But like this 24 man series is when we really felt and I think it's because Stormblood kind of expanded that difference. In, they, in they, damage they, and they, they, they played with the jobs and the numbers yeah. and yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, you better be paying attention. And a lot of people just don't because you never had to before. So, yeah, 24 mans is where we run into the issue, which sucks because I love Ivalice. But when I think about those 24 mans, I'm like, mm -mm, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I actually really I didn't mind that about 24 mans because mm -hmm. uh, something I always really loved about 11 is when it looked like you were just going to eat shit. You were all dead. You're screwed. One mm -hmm. person could pull the group back up just like no we're living and i got that same amazing experience of wow i thought we were screwed and we lived it was so good experience a lot <laughs> during these 24 minutes as the summoner or red mage in the party no because you <laughs> usually that was because you had to raise people back to back to back and get done and then you'd be like ah great zero comms nobody even noticed it you yeah. know what I mean? like, you just, noticed it's a whole it. different feeling I yes, noticed, it. You I noticed it in your heart. And that's cool. I, I take that's the time. Not MMO. Yeah, I take that's the time to look I and see something. who raised me. Yeah. Who raised me? Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I find a personal sense of pride in that. Of course, it does feel a little bit frustrating when nobody does ever. And you're like, I literally saved us five times this run. I full party rest. You're welcome. Not only our party, just, but everybody else. But <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'll do it. It's just in, in that situation you're here to do your damage job and the raise is supposed to be the extra but in 24 mans like this your job is raising and your damage is extra mm -hmm. and that's just less fun 
That's like, true. As a healer, I guess it's a little different for me. Yeah. Because yeah. It while it takes me away from certain things, like optimizing my personal DPS, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's like this is why I chose to be a healer. I right. shall keep you from the brink of death. I will raise you with the power of my. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, I, I love that. It's a great fantasy in my head that I look to fulfill. To me, I, I'm the I'm the the what the cook at Waffle House outside at 4 a.m. in the morning. Smoking a cigarette going, you again? All right, fine. <laughs> That's me. That's good energy. I love that. I love that. I, it's very specific, but very yeah. illustrative. <laughs> um, the Ivalice Raids, I was personally really excited about because 12 was one of my favorite Final Fantasies. And still is. Uh, 8 and 12, two of the ones that most people, I think, hated mm -hmm. for the longest time. Yep. But I loved them both. There's something so distinctive about the creator's style in both the Tactics Verse and also 12. Um, I, I love it. And I was really excited to see that kind of, I don't know, steampunk high fantasy. It's really hard for me to describe mm -hmm. old timey vintage, but like there's just this like really specific style to it that then is like rounded out with all of the political drama of the Tudors and it's just so dense and I love I love that. So I was very excited to see this collaboration and I do think that ultimately it enhanced our world in 14 yeah. it opened up Absolutely. this oh, whole yeah, other sure. region yeah. yeah i mean it was, and it was a, different races and i it loved was, it it was not not the start of it right um but it was definitely i think stormblood really pushed that idea of theme park mmo because we had not only did we have return to evil east you know direct like worked on by matsuno san uh with create uh, character creation done by mm -hmm. uh uh shoot uh, Kaita Amamiya, who who did the design work on yeah. Garo, which is why we got the Garo collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we also had the 8-Man with Omega, where they're like, let's just yep. fan service the shit out of this raid series. We'll bring in Kafka and X-Death. It'll be great. And it's just, they really, they they, they went hard for, like, the, the raid series in, in Stormblood. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. the way that they, they wove evenly, because we knew that, like, Dalmasca and stuff was in 14 for for years at this point but to finally come in and talk about Ivalice and kind of weave that in uh it felt really natural and it was really cool to to kind of see some of that um there was a lot of like Final Fantasy fan service throwback in Stormblood yeah, yeah. but I felt like the way that they integrated it I wasn't even fully sold on the actual um eight man raids yeah and I never want to prog that stupid Midgard Storm or Hot Tail fight ever again. <laughs> Even though I love dragons, that fight made me furious on a level that I can like hardly even equate because it was one of the few times in this games that I in this game that I can think of where I truly felt like there were moments that were just unfair. There were moments that it was a tick. It was a stupid thing, you know, like as opposed to, hey, I might be saying this wasn't my fault, but we all know it was my fault. There were moments <laughs> in that fight that I felt like this is no one's fault except for your square. <laughs> like, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure that I don't know. I was a, a bit earlier in my end game experience at that point. Um, you know, Stormblood was the first 
it was the first time that I was really diligently endgame raiding with everybody and progging at the time that everybody was, right? So I'm sure that weighed into it, but that fight made me so mad. But many of the other fights were very fun and very distinctive. And the way that they brought together the Omega quest line in the end sold me so mm -hmm. thoroughly. Yeah. And they have since expanded on it in such a way that, again, is phenomenal. And I think that's the big difference for the collaboration element in Stormblood for me, as opposed to what it was where I really didn't feel like it worked as well in Shadowbringers. Yeah. I really thought that it did a good, it worked well and it enhanced our world in many ways in Stormblood. Yeah. I was going to be really good and try not to talk about the, the guest creators for, for Shadowbringers. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the other different things that they did with Stormblood um, was add eureka it was mm. an idea it was something a little different it was big group zone content with fates and nms and, and we broke relic it. grinding yeah we did and puns <laughs> that's all i remember about eureka is the the, the bear puns bear puns yeah bear puns yeah mm -hmm. the uh... bear, bear puns the content yeah mm -hmm. we're, we're still not entirely sure how they wanted us to do this content it i think initially we were like oh this is like 11 compartmentalized and put into 14 but then everybody was mm -hmm. like no we're just gonna do fate train screw that it's, it's so interesting because i remember like the way that they talked about it they're like yeah like people like talked about like wanting to like camp nms and then like basically have like 11 type content and everyone's like oh cool and then we realized maybe this isn't as fun as we remember uh eureka was I mean, I don't and know again, why anybody would remember it as being a lot of a lot of stuff in Stormblood, right? You know, you talk about like the difficulty of the Shinryu fight. Um, I mean, like Eureka was pretty. It was interesting because you had, I guess, technically, I mean, well, ultimately, like it, you have BA, right? So you have the Baldur's Gate yeah. So it it was like hardcore end game content, mm -hmm. but like it was. You know, you had to take an entire zone of people and coordinate that ultimately, right, to do the the, the fate trains and stuff. Um, and it wasn't easy. And I mean, especially like I remember at FanFest, they had a one of the like events was basically racing from the base camp in Pagos to like one of the first like aetherites. Like, all right, oh, yeah. see who can get there first, because um, it was it was hard because you couldn't fly yeah. in these zones. Like you had to avoid aggro and it was it was off um, there was different types of aggro yeah and then like an 11 then, then you yeah. had the damn elemental wheel thing and it's just like there was the 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 eureka actions like it was there was so much in this system i i have some thoughts mm -hmm. about eureka which is that i think even given more time with it which i never thought would be the case there were points like Oh gosh, what was the the one that everybody quit on? Was it the second Pagos. one? Yeah, the second yeah. one was brutal. The snow one. Yeah. Yeah. When I was going through that at the time, I would not have had this opinion. But now, with more time, having recently gone back to complete a relic weapon, having started to try and gear up thinking about Baldessian Arsenal, having thought back on some of my very first like impressions of Eureka when we were first stepping into it, I actually love this content. I, I'm sorry, I'll say it again. I love this content. I think there were serious I critiques I, that were... I love Eureka! I didn't I love it. despise I, it I am, completely. I'm not, sure, 
I'm not sure if you're being if you were being sarcastic or if you were just like ashamed to say it. I'm ashamed. I'm okay, ashamed. all right, okay. okay. Because I think there's a lot of people that will be like, Rook, what in the what? Yeah. And then I think there's a group of people that will be like, Yes, at last, we knew it the whole time. One of us. Mm -hmm. But I actually love Eureka. I think its biggest problems were its balancing, which was terrible. I think mm -hmm. they did need to act, they need to cut down so much, they needed to make it so much easier to get to various parts of it, as in like, experience threshold. The whole, Boja iterated on the whole lost action system and everything, in such a better way. Mm -hmm. All yes. of this stuff in Eureka where you're trying to figure out what in the what do I have to put together just to unlock this stupid ability. Remember it is the, the, the way most the... confusing. <laughs> but the I wanna say <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, the portal thing in the end with yeah, the sure. You have stupid, to get this stupid. one item and then this other rare item. I only ever saw like one of them actually well, drop. <laughs> the rare items are actually pretty cool and they generate revenue and I liked I, I've seen them drop pretty frequently even since okay. I've been in there mm. but it was more so the thing that like groups that were trying to do it could have the entire run get completely mm -hmm. ruined mm -hmm. by right yeah, okay so there were a lot of things that needed to be sorted out this was not a perfect piece of content by any means but with some of those adjustments Seeing how a whole portion of the community has still hung in there and loves this, and to this day, actively every week runs Baldassian for players who are getting into it. I, the first like week that this content released, I had some of the most open world fun in this game that I have ever had. I went with, you know, my partner who was in 11, but I never did 11, so I didn't have this nostalgia. We went around the maps in little groups spreading knowledge like don't walk don't you have to walk you have to walk by this one you're bleeding i'm gonna heal you hold on that one's undead and like as we were going around and we were farming these little groups a new notorious monster would pop up i had no idea what it was i didn't know what the reward was everybody was so excited we'd rush over to try and see we might die on the way it was so much fun i still have this distinctive memory that i think i've talked about on this podcast before of the first time that we it was like one of the northern bosses that is this like giant cyclops Mm -hmm. and oh god that yeah everybody yeah. in the entire zone ran to fight this guy and nobody this was the first time i think any of us had seen him pop it was so exciting we Labyrinth got up there time. yeah i was standing <laughs> like just behind and i saw for the first time ever in this game like a hundred people die in one second <laughs> and it was one of the only times in the entire game that i have genuinely felt like a battle medic in a war zone <laughs> myself <laughs> and the other like two i think it was one other healer and a red mage that somehow had escaped this and we're like there's one person like a tank that has the aggro and we are like looking at each other and we're like split up split up split up you go west i'm going middle you go east and like we were literally just walking through piles of corpses and mm -hmm. rezzing anyone we could possibly rez. Yeah. And all of that, I genuinely think was a massive success. And I even think the culmination was phenomenal content. Baldessian Arsenal is so cool. And the fact that they tied it into Baldessian, which was a massive enigma in this game that had been mm -hmm. mentioned in passing here or there, you know, yeah. that has become such a big thing. 
I love all of that about Eureka. Did it need some serious fine tuning? Did it need some serious troubleshooting? Yes, 110%. But I actually thought there were a lot more successes out of it than failures. And given more time, I thought it would, I would look more unkindly upon it. But having gone back into it again recently, I think I actually fell more in love with it and was kind of impressed, especially given a lot of the balancing changes and things that they've done. Um, so I I hope they don't completely scrap it, to be honest, because I think they did iterate well in Boja, although there were critiques mm -hmm. from Boja as well. But I think we have a need in 14 for this kind of large scale immersive map content. I, you know, I agree. It, Rook, one of Rook. the No, no, no. Hold on. I got to get this out. Rook. The next time you say that you like Eureka, uh -huh. I yeah. want you to say it proudly. Okay. From your chest. I, I also liked Eureka. I didn't have a problem with the difficulty in Pagos. Did I need to sneak by a dragon? Fine. I'll walk in. I want that little bit of difficulty. I am, I'm the asshole in, in content right now who's like, they made that easier? Why? It's not interesting anymore. Uh, I'm, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for yeah. it. I really am. I but but I I didn't have a problem with with the way things were done in Eureka. I absolutely love situations like the one you describe, where it's like ah everyone but a tank and three healers instead. Hell yes, we got this. We can do this. Eureka I, I mages about assemble. It earlier. <laughs> yeah, I talked about it earlier for the twenty four bands. I love those situations where it's like oh yeah. no, we are screwed. No, we could do this. We could do this. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I there just were, hate being on the side. There were definitely, I think. One of the one of the worst aspects of Eureka was the 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 treasure bunny things. Oh sure. Remember how you could, and and as an eleven player, it's like whoa they have they they put the O hat in fourteen. Hell yeah! What do I need to do? To, I need to get like a bunch of super rare eyes from bunny rabbits. What? I never saw even one of those eyes from those damn <laughs> treasure chests. But I it think, was it was difficult at the time. Yeah, yeah, it was really hard. Um, but I think right difficulty aside. I played a bunch of Eureka because I, one, it was required for relics, but two, like mm -hmm. it was, it was one of those things at that point in the game where you could log in and you know, you didn't as a DPS, I didn't want to like have to wait in a queue for 10 plus minutes, right. For a dungeon or something. I could just go into a Eureka zone and chances are probably pretty good that there was a train going already and I could just mm -hmm. log in, do something, and it would help. I, I think I did like three, four relic weapons in, in Eureka and it's just like, it's just something you could just log in and do. And there's other people doing it. And I thought, as as that kind of content, I thought it was really good. And, you know, the same thing applied to um, to the other one. Um, Boja. Boja. Yeah, I'm like, the, mm. the thing. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Boja, Boja worked really well in, in that regard, too, where you could just jump in and there were people just going around hitting the fates and stuff. Um, I leveled two and a half characters all the way through Boja. Not I Boja, oh, Eureka. Eureka. And yeah. I didn't I didn't bother to get a single running weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, completed. I did get a couple. I just they, they weren't useful and I didn't really yeah, like the way weren't. they looked at the time. That's fair. So That's I didn't fair. really bother with those. I just liked going in and, and doing the content. I thought it was fun. Yeah. And I so I did that. I did my character, I did my main alt, and I did my RP partner's character like halfway through to the point where I was like, this really isn't that bad. Just just try. Look, you're already halfway done. Come on. Let's yeah, go. The, the throwbacks to eleven were fun. Uh, you know, there's like minions and, and other references. You know, you fight absolute virtue and behold mm -hmm. in Arsenal, which is like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. Um but it was I also think... 
fun too because because like yeah. you know we talked about this early too like red mage like that was its place to shine and so that was the first like i i dabbled with with summoner in, in heaven's word for a bit you know i had gotten it to cap and stuff but like i played a lot of red mage in, in eureka and it was it was fun because you know i wasn't doing like the best damage but like i could i could hit things make them hurt and then i could also like heal up the people that were absolutely 100% going to die. <laughs> like, yeah. so Eureka it was, it was, good. was like going on a, a school um, field trip because you always had a buddy. Always take a buddy with you in case one of you dies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just bounced off that content immediately because of the time investment yeah. and what happens yeah. when the group is not good. Right. You could be in there for an hour two hours and get nothing done and i was when i saw that i went nope i do not have the time like stormblood never i had less time that. in general yeah i i was playing at peak time only at peak times okay um and people can definitely tell you that at peak time that's most when you have the most people yes but it's also i'm gonna say it when a lot of people don't know what they're doing right wow and so out. it was just I'm just saying, it's just in general. I ask anybody who tries to cap at the end of the week. Mm. <laughs> if you're trying to cap at the end of the week and you're doing experts, you see a difference. And yeah. that was just it. At the time, I didn't have the time to go through it. And I really didn't have the desire to raise people. Like You're, you're reminding people like, me that I new. still need to cap this yeah. week. And I'm just like, oh. Yeah. On people are like, side. it's new and cool that we get to play Red Mage and raise. And I'm like, dude, that's all. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not different right. for me. Yeah, you're right. It's fun for the people who don't normally play. Uh, yeah. One last thing it I want. Mm -hmm. oh, hold on. There was one thing about Eureka that I wanted to bring up that I am curious about how you all feel about it. Mm. So one of the things that they did try to do during Eureka was the idea of unmarked quests. So mm. quests that aren't just a okay, next one. Where exactly is it? Right there. All right. And they've done this in some other little parts or like I think seasonal event or things like that in 14. But I wanted to ask all of you, do you think there's still a place for unmarked quests in our current MMOs? Or do you think that it's something that is more a frustration than any kind of enhancement to the game experience? I think it depends what the reward is for the quest. Um, I think MMOs these days right i mean it's it's very handholdy in terms of here's this quest here's exactly mm -hmm. where you go and uh, you know in terms of like amount of time that people have i think that works really well because not everybody has a lot of time you know they get home from work they have maybe an hour or two before dinner and that's it or something um i mean back in 11 like if we had like if we had a patch in 11 it was like okay we log in we're not quite sure who to talk to to start the quests. Mm -hmm. And then like literally like a story quest in 11 would be like, go check out this area. Okay. This area could have multiple levels and some kind of underground cave somewhere. You just had to tab around to find it. It's just little a little invisible question mm -hmm. mark that target that comes up. And that's what you need to talk to. And you had to find that it was yeah. impossible finding this stuff back then so like to have quests now that holds our hand so much i'm like great this will save me hours for one quest um so to have something that's unmarked i think it's fine if it's just like kind of something whatever on the side 
Um, if it's if it's something that is a little more like important that needs to get done, then I'm like, ah, maybe don't do it that way. But it's it's also kind of nice in a way where it encourages exploration. Yes. Yeah. I think um, the way that it was done in Eureka, I think that would be fine uh, mm-hmm. continue, to continue to do it that way. I thought, I there, thought it was there's okay. There's a yeah. group of people. There's a group of people who love that. There's a group of people who's like, I have yeah. to find the thing. You're not going to tell me where it is. Awesome. And those people are there. They go and find it and they share the information. Mm-hmm. They want you to talk to each other. They, they mm-hmm. say it in the quests when you first start up. It's like, mm-hmm. you may need to talk to somebody to figure out where this is. And so. It- yeah, I think I think that the way it was presented, it was totally fine because you're gonna have those people who are like, "This is where it is, everybody." They're pr- mm. proud they found it, they had fun finding it, and they're excited yeah. to share it. And from what I can yeah. remember too, it it wasn't as bad as eleven, where it was just like, "Go to the Adewa no. subterrain oh, yeah, no. somewhere." But with like fourteen, like because the way the maps are laid out, like you know, maps have like different little regions and stuff. It's like it's in the blah 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 area. You're like, "Oh, okay, that's like this little part of the map. I'll just go up there, and like five minutes later, you'll find it." Like, so that was chances okay. are, yeah. <laughs> chances are, looking at the map, they'll be like, "Oh, unless, there's a strange yeah, little hook here that doesn't necessarily have to be there. I bet it's in there." And it um, is. yeah, unless yeah. there's, the, I'm trying to remember in the first Eureka Zone, was there one that was time based? Or am I just thinking like it was just no? It was it was a pain because there were ghosts that were there depending yes. on the time of day. That's ah, what it was. Yeah, that's what go. it was. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I think I think the way Eureka did it, I think I think that's a good like balance between like completely Do like want to see it everywhere. Right. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, ask people who missed the latest side quest if they want to see actual quests where you don't know where to go. You know what I mean? Right. Like. Right. That that was kind of not, you know, people weren't too complaining about it, which is great because it was right there. And, you know, like you should look and yeah, I get it. It's it's out of the norm. But imagine that, like if there, it just wasn't on the map at all and you yeah. just had to talk to someone. Yeah, I could see some people having difficulties, but I I like it. You know, mm-hmm. we don't need the targeting reticle on the map every single time if it says go to this place, you know? Yeah, but. Um, and they, unlike mm-hmm. unlike uh, fusion sites, like it's like a question mark if you tab over it. In fourteen, yeah. they're like, "Here's the sparkle." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a little more noticeable. It's like mm-hmm. in eleven, you're just like walking around smashing your target key. You're like, yeah. where is ah? Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on in Eureka. This was something new that they did for fourteen. Um, they let you dictate fairly important parts of the story. <laughs> I knew this was coming up. Yeah, I, 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 you can't not talk about this, right? I mean, it's you essentially get to pick if a character lives or dies, and you know, I mean, this is you know, we didn't quite have like lore book two out yet. People are like mm-hmm. getting really into lore, and then they throw out this thing where it's like maybe this character dies to some people, maybe it doesn't to other people, and it's like, but what the hell is the canon then? Like, you're what forking? What are you doing? Drove me absolutely nuts when they introduced this. What did you, what did yeah. you, and, and you couldn't even finish it unless you finished Baldessian Arsenal, which mm. was the, the, the huge kicker. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm the opposite in that I love that they did this. Like, I really personally love it because for me, one of the things that I tend to find the most restrictive about my own fantasy within the realm of an MMO is that it's very hard for MMO narratives to have any unique divergences, right? So trying to figure out how you do that and you still give players a sense of agency in the story that they are a part of is, I mean, it's difficult. And I don't really think any MMO has nailed it perfectly, somehow, magically, Mm -hmm. you know, at this point, because there are many problems with this. Um, So I loved that they did this. I 
was a little more conflicted because Baldessi and Arsenal in general, the positioning of it in the narrative, I think is tough because none of us even knew we were going towards something like this. So at the time, many of us didn't have time to even prepare to understand that we would be doing something like this. You know, mm -hmm. I think I had bounced off initially in Pagos. And then by the time everybody was doing BA really actively, I was so far behind, I was really disheartened to get caught up. Now, it's still very, very heartening that there are groups actively running it and helping people get to that point, even now, which I've been really surprised by. Um, but I honestly think that I had slightly more problems with the, not being able to complete the narrative without having done Baldassian Arsenal than I do anything about the choices within that. Because, like, to me, that was a bigger hurdle or stumbling block. And they got around it in Endwalker because mm -hmm. we talked to a relative of the character, but not the actual character themselves, right? Yes? Um, I think so. Are you, I or, I was looking things up. Are you talking about the character who can die or not? Is that what you're saying? Is that what we're on right now? I think so, right? I mean, this this is we're talking about yeah. old content here, so, so I don't think yeah. is Edgica yeah. the one that you can yeah. choose to kill or not? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. the the attendant that's at um is related is related yes. to Edgica, but is not Edgica. So yes. yeah, and says that if you pick that path, if you pick that path, remarks about his death. Right. Thank you for standing by him until the end. This is what I was looking up when you were talking oh, okay. about it because I knew it was coming up. But I was like, are you talking about it? Can I launch into this or not? Okay. So if you have not gone to Eureka at all, won't talk about it at all. If you stepped into it but haven't finished it, he says he's read about the initial reports. Quite a here to shock what's become of the aisle. Do take care. If you finished it and Ajika is alive, he says, I hope Ejika didn't cause you too much trouble. He's impatient and impetuous, but a good sort at heart. But if he's dead, he says, I read the reports in the Eureka expedition. Ejika's passing grieved me beyond words. Thank you for standing by him till the end. So it does actually affect it. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that about our stories. And that's part of the reason yeah. that I like having these choices is, is very similar to like just showing up someplace on the right job at the right times. Like, oh, I'm a dancer too. We're buddies. I love to, to have that experience. <laughs> I love those little extra things. Yeah. Yes, definitely. They're they're similar, but not the same. Yeah. Uh, I like having the choices. I like ha making up the story for the kick here and stuff like yeah. that. I think it's cool. Yeah. I know it, it frustrates some people because Fusion is my friend and I, I listen to what he has to say. <laughs> well, um, it just, wow. Yeah. It, it's fine to be like we always always know we were talking about the lore books. The lore books say that it's written by someone in fiction, so it might not be the right yeah. story. And that's yeah. always great. But when you experience it yourself and someone else experiences it a, di a different way, I get that. I, I don't care. So like, here's, I, uh, it doesn't bother me. But yeah, here's sure. here's what I, I like, though. I like that it either they have the plan to either change the story or to make mm -hmm. it canon one way or the other. And they've implemented a tool recently where they can tell you where the canon is in game with Tataru's thingamabob. Mm hmm. So we have yeah. a little, a little, little, well, but little here's, I mean, here's, game. here's that thing though, like in, in terms of like canon, like nothing has addressed Ejiga, right? Like, I think yeah. that's also one of those things that could be variable depending on what you do. So like, it's even if it's if it the come, canon if it record, it's still though. whatever yeah. your choice is. Yes. Yeah. But if, I, um... if, oh, go ahead. If, then. if it does become significant to the story though, I think we will be presented with the, the canon, you know? Or yeah. they will yeah. they will write the story in such a way that both I don't 
I, I think that that's the way they'd have to do it. I don't think that they can make a canonical wow. choice because of what they did. I'm finding more that's different. The Aether Burner in, in Walker, if Educa's still alive, he sent stuff for you. If he's not, it's researchers from Eureka. That's hmm. nice. I love that's that. interesting. That's so cool. Maybe maybe I'm... it's just my my inner writer that knows all the different paths that they need to work on now. <laughs> now that you have a, a variable of is this character dead or alive? If dead, blah 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 blah. If alive, you know, it's like those those yeah, choice trees. Certainly more work. Yeah, they've got the team to do it, and it adds more value for replayability, right? Sure. And choosing different choices on different characters, even if it's just a tiny bit of flair. I I don't mind it at all. I actually love it. I am very curious though if. Uh, with the recent confirmation that Kryle is going to be playing a mm -hmm. pretty large role moving forward, I'm very curious if these Baldassian story beats will right. have a bigger resonance and or the I big lore so. bombs and things that happened. So, I mean, it might be worth it even for those of you who haven't worked on it. If you get to a point the, where you just don't have stuff to do to go in yeah. and try. The story by itself, uh, I felt was kind of clunky and, and held together with like mm. weird, really long strips of tape, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that if if uh, Kryle is going to be a centerpiece of the story, then they'll take those pieces of tape and maybe wrap them a little tighter, bring the pieces closer together. <laughs> It'll yeah. flush it out. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Last thing here, uh, Stormblood added. And I, I forgot this was with, with Stormblood. World travel. Mm -hmm. That was a thing that we used to not have back in the day. So now to, to clarify, you could still be on the data center and get matched up into instances with people on your data center, but actually going over to th their world and interacting with mm -hmm. them, that was what this did. Yeah. Which it was uh, cool. I liked it. Yeah. It was the first step. Yeah. It was I pretty huge. No, especially after, say. especially after they'd like split us up. Yeah. Because uh, prior prior to that, oh, uh, we were yeah, much that more was... jammed together. But then the game got more, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, oh more popular. Gosh. Hold they on, hold on, really yeah. fast. What? Had I forgotten yeah. to put in here? Was Stormblood when they added, they split the DCs. We it got was the extra the DC. End, it, was the... it was the end of Stormblood because it was at the fan fest uh, where they announced. Uh, Shadowbringers. I only remember because I remember yeah, overhearing it's like some super salty people <laughs> like just complaining left and right about it very loudly like by a yep. chair I was sitting in. That's when Crystal got <laughs> added for NA. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yep. I had totally forgotten. Sorry, Zed. Keep going. I just, I realized I went, I don't, I didn't even mention that right. but both that and the world travel was really huge for this yeah. era. Yeah. Well, I was just saying like because they took these worlds that were all smashed together and frankly there were a couple that needed to be split uh, yeah. and spread us all out we had a little bit of of the ability to get back to mm -hmm. where we'd lost yeah because yeah. I, I remember that because before the split we ended up running uh some stormblood exs yeah. and then yep, and that was it that. that was that was the only time we could ever not do it anymore played together with our normal characters mm -hmm. that was such a huge <laughs> thing at the time though because yeah. we didn't have data center travel which we now have mm -hmm. so again if they add another one over here to na or anywhere else a new data center it's not going to be the end of the world for players but this was actually a pretty massive thing in the community because we saw 
many data centers, as we all know, get labeled with something. Mm -hmm. Are they the rating mm -hmm. data center? Are they the role-playing data center? What, you know, what collection are those worlds known for? And as we all actually know, I think as 14 players, there's a little bit of everything everywhere. It's just that some yeah. data centers might have more of something or might be more well known for that in regards, which that attracts more people. But this was a really big change in 14. We had this big, you know, uh, split where certain worlds were forced to go one way or the other. And there was a lot of discussion in the community about, you know, people who role played with people on this world or raided with people, um, you know, in this other regard. And they were trying to figure out where am I going to go? Like, am I going to yeah. if they're all moving to this you know, world on this data center, because we had free transfers for a while, then am I going to move here? And many groups were split up. I mean, now people meme on Crystal all the time, but Crystal mm -hmm. didn't even exist until Storm Back won. Back in my day. <laughs> yeah, it's I, uh, interesting. I, I remember purposefully never taking, because uh, I had a handful. I had, I had some friends whose like half of their friends list was gone, right? I think mm -hmm. I had maybe 10, 10 people on my 200 person friend list because I'm insane, um, that, that were gone. And I made a point to never take them off. So now they're still on my, they've come back onto my friends list now oh, that wow. they're, uh, <laughs> we're able to move across centers. Wild. I will tell you right now that the first time that I did world visit at all, and I am not joking, was last week. Oh. World visit or data center travel at all was last week. <laughs> Wow. What, what made you with, finally <laughs> help a friend with Savage? Yeah. That's really it. That was the only time I have ever done it, which, yeah, I mean, it makes sense for the way that I play the game. But like it was an option now. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that I wouldn't even have even thought about helping, you know, like I couldn't have done it. But now it's here and it's it's so integral to the experience now. Right. Like, yeah, not having it before then was. I mean, you just kind of take these facts about MMOs as it'll never change, right? Uh, this this is the way it is. It'll never change. But that's not true for 14. And that's one of the things that that opening really showed us at that time. And now we just expect it, right? It's mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, all data centers will eventually be able to do everything together. That's not true in most MMOs. Like, they never open that up. Mm -hmm. Or so, they start that way. You either yeah, have or it or you way. don't. And that's it. Yeah. Yep. And that's how um, it is. Yeah. I think... You guys, are you guys aware that I'm a penny pincher in this game? <laughs> I, I I used uh, world yeah world uh, transfer a bunch just to look at different prices on market. There, I, <laughs> I've done that a couple of times. It, it's it's not a lot, but every so often, like if I'm looking at um something that I'll either need like a bunch of or something that's like new that's just like mm. the price is like crazy. Every so often, I will. Um, I mean, more more lately, um, I've just said whatever and bought it because I have all this money that I saved up for a large house that's certainly <laughs> not going to ever go towards a large house at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely it's an option. You know, a lot of people yeah. um, if that are into like treasure maps, that's a that's a good thing to do to mm -hmm. you know fight if you're not mm -hmm. gathering your own if you need to buy extra, go and you know find the Check cheapest the maps, servers. get the most you know out of your money. Uh, recently, being able to swap data centers entirely. Um, the raid gear that came out on, on Balmung at least was like a mil and a half per piece on the first couple days that it was on the market board. Mm. And I jumped over to Aether and it was like half a mil. <laughs> yeah, it's Crystal, I feel as though has 
a pretty wild range of either inflation or at times you get stuff that's just dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get stuff yeah. that's ridiculously cheap that's not cheap anywhere else, or it will be triple the price it is anywhere well, else. Well, you know, so, it's, it's on Crystal, right? It's not how good is this gear for rating. It's how good is this gear for RP. And if it just looks yeah. really good, mm-hmm. the price is going to I go mean, up. yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> and I won't lie. I actually think that I got back into RP because of stuff like world travel, mm-hmm. because I, you know, liked where my characters were on Zalera. And you know, as we all know, it is a pretty big undertaking to try and fully level your characters or get them through all the story or get them to whatever map people might be role playing on. And of course, now that I am back in and a full-on filthy role player in this game, I make alts more than I don't. I even know what to do with. I have so many of them. I trip over them. They're just everywhere. But you know, at the time, almost all of my play was on Zalera. And when World Travel came in with Stormblood and Beyond, it opened up the door so that when I started talking to friends that were on Mateus and Balmung, and they were saying, "Oh, hey, will we role play? Why don't you come over?" I could. And I was able to just go over and participate in events or meet people there. And that was, I think, really liberating because then, yeah, I just started making characters wherever and I was, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. But if I hadn't been able to do that as freely, I probably wouldn't have jumped back into Mm -hmm. it because it had been a little while since I role played. And, you know, I didn't know anybody on Zalera that was role playing at the time. So I was just like, "Eh, you know, whatever, I'll get to it, I guess, if I get to it. But it Mm -hmm. made it so I could do that. Yeah, even beyond roleplay, um, uh, Charles and I are on Balmung and have been since the beginning, and I am never leaving mm-hmm. because I have houses and friends and characters and blah, blah, blah. Um, but Balmung was closed for forever. Yeah. Nobody yeah. nobody could join. Even if I had friends who wanted to join the game and play, I couldn't play with them unless it was an accident. We happened to land in the same dungeon, which was terrible. But now I have a bunch of friends, real life friends who've joined the game and are on the different servers, but I can go and help them and we can play together much more easily. And that's just wonderful. I'm so glad that they introduced that. Definitely. I think we did it. But again, you know, Balmung's open now, so whatever, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be cool and exclusive back in the day. Oh, so sorry. So that is Stormblood. Yeah. Stormblood. The Stormblood experience. I mean, if anybody, as always, in chat or on YouTube or in the comments or wherever has any other thoughts of your own time in Stormblood, please feel free to remind us. But Stormblood was an interesting time. It's definitely not my favorite of the expansions. But even just going over (laughs) it with all of you, I think there was so much in this expansion that was so pivotal, both for characters, the tone of the future story, Mm -hmm. the expansion of the world itself as we knew it. Uh, different types of experimental content, maybe some balancing things that down the road have yeah. led to a less than satisfactory There were a lot of things learned with, with Stormblood. Yes. You know, yeah. I, I remember one of our, our big complaints back in Stormblood was like, this is a wartime thing. Make us feel that. Make us mm-hmm. understand that shit is going down. And they were like, okay, here's Shadowbringers and here's Endwalker. Mm-hmm. Give us your tears. Right. <laughs> And we were like, I, do see the chat. I do see in the chat mentions of Hien. I mentioned sure. Hien very briefly on the mm-hmm. Aziva step, but yeah, he hot. He hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we That's can true. all agree with that, right? That his beautiful hair and his excellent outfit and his... One day it won't be made of pixels. <laughs> he, when he first appears and you get the song, I believe it's Cyan yep. from Six. Yep. And hey. like, as soon as you hear that, I was like, I don't care who he is. He's awesome. Like, as soon as you introduce him with that song, I'm like, all right, well, he must be a badass. 
He wins. Like, that's that's it. it. That's yeah, it. Uh, little son. Yeah, little son. Of little Making son. fun of little son is like one of the best pastimes of this game. Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel like Magni and Sadu are two great gifts from Stormblood. Yes. Mm-hmm. A gift that just keeps on giving it's true. because yeah. they are so fantastic. I love Sadu's entire lore and culture and the fact that like Sadu doesn't even. I guess technically. Sadu and gender and the reincarnation cycle, right? It's so interesting with that tribe Mm -hmm. because Sadu is like, I don't know, I'm down with everything. I've been all sorts of people Mm -hmm. and I just want to fight now because it's fun. And just like (laughs) tack tack Karina on as well because then they became buds and Mm -hmm. Mr. Little Sun's over here like, "Uh, so yeah, like you're my, you're my nom, what is it? Nama. Nama. My Nama. Nama? Okay. You're my Nama. And she's like, no, I'm going to hang out with my friend. Bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can all agree that Sadu and Serena, are, they are definitely yeah. girlfriends at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah. we can definitely. Yeah. yeah. The, the one scene where he's like <laughs> holding out his arms and she just runs right past him. Yes! <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my gosh. I love it so much. And yeah, Magni is hilarious and never ceases to be hilarious. Mm-hmm. And his character is fantastic. <laughs> yes. we did it that's stormblood we did it all right uh if you want only if you want you can find me on the internet at raffledrg rwefldrg twitter twitch and youtube zen where can they usually i'm i'm actually really excited about you changing this setup because normally when we're talking about much better right you, yeah, normally when we're talking about where we're at, I'm doing all these dumb dances and nobody can see them. And now you can see my dumb dances. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Zenudra underscore A. You could see me make that underscore. On Twitch at Strawberry Ma. Also, I got plus a word underscore one, the number underscore. Oh, we got to add that. Yeah, we'll, we'll add yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> the word. For uh, the D&D podcast that uh, Charles and I do, uh, I think where there's one on Sunday and I DM that one, it might be, it might be the final, mm. final one of this c- current storyline. Mm. Or maybe not. I never know how long everybody's going to take to decide to do this. <laughs> I try oh, to help but... with that. Yes, I appreciate it. And then all of that gets sent over to YouTube. Plus one chat with no underscores. And I Plus updated the all of word, that yesterday. Plus the word, one, the number, number shot, shot, the word. Yep. That's me, I did those, I do all those things. Good job. Good job doing the things. Mm-hmm. Aldi, no. I don't do anything. Nothing, nothing at all? here and only here. That's it. Uh, and plus, I'm not going to do the whole thing. But, plus one shot. That's it. But... There's also a D&D campaign that we do here. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, we forgot it's... to tell them. Huh? What? For what? Next week. What did we forget? Well, well, well so yes. we, we were talking before you popped on. Uh, next week, we'll also have all of the short stories. Fine. See, I don't. Or. I am ready. Alternatively, we could just do a short story of our own. Yes. It's true. So. All right, chat. Short stories. Do you want us to talk about the short stories that are coming out, or do you want us to do our short We already stories? got hashtag bring back first edition going in yeah, chat. Yeah, we do have it. I think the we're short probably... stories aren't going anywhere. It's true. It's we true. can kick it off again. I'm still saying we gotta get some schedule some bonus time where we can and just start getting these uh D D apps out more frequently. So. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's do. We'll do it. Yeah, you ready, Aldino? Next yes. week. Next week, everybody. First edition, First edition returns. Back. We're gonna That's do right. it. We're gonna do the thing. It's happening. Just for you. It's happening. Ropes. <laughs> yeah. Just like you know when we asked, well, you specifically, you and Anonymous asked for Gaius back all those years ago, um, and you got him. Yeah. So yeah, people ask for first edition, and then it's gonna happen. So and, it's, and, it, and it's and it's been a year of them asking for it. So uh, <laughs> it took a little longer with Gaius, but you know we'll give you guys you know we'll, we'll save you a little bit okay. of time. I mean, he kind of blew up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of me. us blew up. So we we don't really have an excuse. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract from your your presentation. You're, you're fine. Is it, right. yes, it is it my turn? It is your turn. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? You can find me on Twitch at Rookery. That's R-O-O-K-U-R-I. You can also find me on YouTube at Rookery and on Twitter at Rookery underscore. Uh, the very final portions of my Endwalker playthrough, which, yes, I did finish way back when. Only, it only took nine months. <laughs> only took nine months, but that's usually because in addition to my uh, weekly streaming schedule, the two podcasts that I do... Um, I also try to release one, sometimes two videos a week on YouTube, so it's a little bit of a slower pace, but you have plenty of time to catch up. We are on the very final portions, and uh, it's, I, whew, Ed Walker was doozy, so <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. Um, we have also been doing a lot of other special streams and bonus appearances, um, and we'll have more videos on YouTube as well as giveaways and all kinds of things happening. We just got through Team Ethernet 6.2 Marathon that we were doing. Um, so keep an eye out as always, because there's a lot going on wherever I'm doing it. Uh, and I'm always happy to see everybody. If you want, you can contact just all of us at once. Everybody. At the show here. Uh, Aetherite Radio at Gamerscape.com. You can throw us an email or you can tweet at us at Aetherite Radio. Uh, and of course, you can find us as Gamerscape on Twitter, Twitch, duh, YouTube, Facebook, and Discord. That's discord.gg slash Gamerscape. Uh, we had a uh, Final Fantasy XIV spoiler channel, but it's closed because it's been a couple weeks now. So talk about the things, yes. I guess. Uh, we also have an Aetherite Radio channel on there if you want to talk to us about the show. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all. Tell us what you think of Xenos. I think he's a poo-poo head. Yeah. And and when they named Not the, you, not you, the watchers. Oh, not, not you. Oh, the watchers. <laughs> Sorry. I just I saw an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, let us know about your ten years. Let us know about yeah. or however many years or months or days or seconds you've been in the game. Always happy to hear it. We love hearing everybody's experiences in 14. Absolutely. All right. And that is gonna do it for us for this week. But next week. Everybody, we're doing yeah. it. We're doing it's the happening. thing. First edition. We just have to remember what D and D is. It's it's well, fine. We got it. Rook, we got Rook here is ready to go. Gonna do do the the, the dwarven character. There's my character. Ready. We're ready. I, don't, mm -hmm. I need to go buy a rope. Um, yeah, it's gonna be great. First edition's coming back. We're gonna do it for for realsies this time. For realsies. Not even. We're not pulling your leg or any other. Like your arm or anything, we're for real. We're we're doing I'm it. Glad that you supplied an example. I just I just happened to have. I got the box the other day. <laughs> it was just it was just there. He's talking about your limbs, on Oh yeah, my limbs! I'm just glad you, yeah, <laughs> I don't want anybody to like just fill in the you know the the blank there. So anyway, that's gonna do it for <laughs> us this week. We'll get to see you next week for first edition. See you later.
Bye. Bye.